this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 180 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how are you doing on this fantastic and wonderful day? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Fantastic. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, Savannah. Sure. What do you want to talk about, Savannah? <laughs> we, we were talking about this offline, and I think it's uh, I think it's funny. So you're thinking about moving back, huh? The, the thought had crossed our minds. Yes. Well, it sounds like it's more than crossed your mind. It sounds like it's already in the works. Okay, well, so, um, so every, all the positive things that I said about Savannah still stand. Savannah is an awesome place, fantastic vibe. But there was, there was a couple of things that we didn't quite account for. One of them is just how much Georgie was going to miss her friends and family after moving away. So um, that's just, it's just a bigger deal than she realized. But that wasn't it. There was other things. It's a little bit like a fishbowl. I didn't, I, you know, I knew it had the potential to be like a fishbowl, right? But I didn't realize how quickly I was going to feel that I was swimming around the same fishbowl. Okay. Now, I, 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 but I don't want to say anything. I don't really don't want to say anything too negative. It's just, it's just me, myself. I mean, I really do like change. You know, I like to experience a lot of different things. And um, in, this, in this place, uh, I'm, you know, maybe I should just be exploring more or whatever. But anyway, it feels a bit like a fishbowl. Yeah, okay, so when you say fishbowl, you don't mean that people are sitting around staring at you. <laughs> you know, I mean, when no, people I just say, I feel like it's I a mean... fishbowl, I kind of, you feel like you're on display or something like that. But no, you mean okay, just that, right. you just mean that the options are limited because it's a small place. You feel like you've, exactly. you've seen what you're going to see, you've done what you're going to be able to do, or most of it, and you've only been there, what, To a be month? honest, but it, it's sort of a ridiculous viewpoint, right? So this isn't as major a reason as the other reason. Of Georgia, this is just like a little niggle. Do you know what I mean? You know the way you've just got a little niggle. Mm-hmm. But it's—I mean—to be honest, if I was out driving around, if I was going up to Charleston or New York or whatever, driving different different places, I probably wouldn't be feeling that way. You know, I'm just sticking around here, right? But I—I guess—I guess I'm just likening it to the experiences I've had living in London and in Los Angeles. I don't really try and explore or travel in those places, but a whole bunch of stuff happens just because they're just much bigger and it's. Just life takes you to all these different places. Right. Because you, you felt that way when you lived in Dublin, right? You said you would live, you were, how long were you there? Like uh, well, seven it years? Took, it, it took about eight years to feel that way in Dublin, right? So eight, Dublin's a city of a, of a million people. So after eight, eight-ish years, I felt, oh, wow, I, I really know this place. I'm going to all the same places. I don't have anonymity anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but here, like, it, it's, I could, I can just tell. I mean, I don't fully feel that way but i can just tell that's 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 the direction How, but we've spent so much time focused on this and it's only a small a small issue it's not it's not the main thing yeah but so you know i don't know if you were caught i don't know if i said this on the show or not but the reason that i predicted that you'd move back was yeah. because of the of the exact reason that you cited which was that um i thought georgia was gonna end up missing her parents especially if you guys are going to end up starting a family well you see now she she knew she always knew that was a possibility but yeah. she thought that her desire to to get really high value house, beautiful house, lovely architecture, all the stuff that we've got, she thought that that 
not necessarily would outweigh it, but that would be like a bigger deal. But then when she got out here, I guess she's just never had that experience before. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, well, obviously I don't know Georgie that well and everyone's different, but I, I know that uh, that can be a really big deal um, for for people. And uh, when you start a family and uh, it's just, everything becomes, and it can be put in a different sort of context. And especially if, you know, she's been used to being around her mom and her sister and everything. Then for you guys to suddenly move to the other side of the country, okay, you know, it's now, a whole different deal. There's, there's something else. And, okay. um, I'm, I'm wary of saying this and I hope that it doesn't get me into any trouble because I don't mean it in any bad way, but I have always lived in metropolitan cities and, you know, I've lived in Dublin, um, London and Los Angeles. And I have never noticed any kind of racial tension or racial segregation ever in my life. It's just, I've just, it's just never been a part of my life. It's never been a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've always lived in melting pots in very metropolitan, metro, metropolitan areas. Here, I'm not saying that anything racist or racial has happened. I, I'm just saying it's a thing. Like it's, it's a thing that there is a, some tension here that I've never experienced before. And that's just something else that's just new and, and strange to me. It's just making you uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't mean... I understand. Like, you, you qualified enough, I get it. No, no, yeah. you, but, you, but it's something that you feel. It, you feel. it makes you feel uncomfortable. You're not exactly sure why it's making you feel uncomfortable. You just know you're feeling a little uncomfortable because of it. So that's, you know, that's it. I mean, I, I hope it's not offensive, and uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's like one small part. You, you want to put a few more qualifiers in there? <laughs> okay but so you're moving so you guys have been there what like a month now six weeks yeah but uh, yeah but there's something else i want to say about the whole moving to savannah (laughs) thing that i want to talk about okay right i want to talk about yelp okay so we were talking about um in the last show we were talking about um the inefficiencies of um rating systems and how sometimes they didn't work very well sure and Yelp, basically, I think the inefficiency of the Yelp rating system has ended up costing myself and Georgie $2,000 and also living an entire month with no furniture. Why is that? Because when I researched the, the, the moving company to, to move here, I went to Yelp, as you always do, Royal Transportation, North Hollywood, went to Yelp, click on the page, just there's just a few five-star reviews saying what a great company it is. And so, you know, you, you feel pretty qualified. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to go with that company. So we went with that company. They, they, we called them up, but we told them exactly how many tables and chairs and it, very, very precisely exactly what we were moving. I mean, I'm not, there was nothing that wasn't accounted for in, in what we said to them. So they quoted us one and a half thousand. Right. So we're like, oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. So they then came over, um, packed everything up, put it in the truck. And, and before they did this, they, they kind of got me to sign some documents. But those documents, it would it would have taken a week to read through the fine print of those documents. But, you know, think, thinking in the back of your mind, oh, we've got a few five star reviews on Yelp. Got a few five star reviews on Yelp. This is a great company. So, OK, fine. So they moved everything, put it in the truck and they said, OK, uh, the quote we gave you before was like an estimate. Actually, it's going to cost three and a half thousand. Wow. Now everything's on the truck, right? Everything's wrapped up. Like 
they've wrapped it like six times around in cellophane and and like blankets i mean it's just completely wrapped up it's all moved downstairs so we're like okay three and a half thousand well fair enough it's probably a pretty good company well whatever so anyway we we just said yep okay so we're now over a month and a week later and they still haven't shipped the furniture wow <laughs> so like this this doesn't gel like what's what's the deal like how does it have these five-star reviews on yelp so just uh i guess a couple of days ago i went to look at yelp and i notice in the bottom left hand side it says filtered reviews so there's like 12 filtered reviews okay. i try and i try and click into the filtered reviews and, and it's a small link it's not very obvious at all like it's just a tiny little link on the bottom left hand side of the whole page I try and click into the filter reviews. It doesn't even open. It it brings up a capture, a very difficult to enter capture. Like so, even to get into these filter reviews, I've got to do two or three attempts to get past this very difficult capture. Right. Then I get into it. Then there's twelve one star reviews of people saying what an awful com- awful company it is, how they've r- ripped them off, just really really bad reviews. And I'm just like, oh no. I wish I'd have known about that. You know, I wish I'd have seen this. So on doing a bit more research about, you know, how is it that this has happened? Why are these reviews in the, in the filter? And the reason is, is because it's, it's Yelp's attempt to create an algorithm to, to, to suppress dodgy reviews. So, so obviously what will happen is a lot of time people will come on the site and they'll try and game the system and they'll basically create an account and do a review, a beneficial review of their business or whatever. Or they get their friends to. Or they get their friends, right? Right. So basically what Yelp do is they they have this kind of system that basically says that you don't know what the secret source is, but it's like, okay, these people are untrusted because they haven't really done any other reviews on the system. They don't have any friends on the system, so we're going to suppress their reviews. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So it, it, it can kind of work for the majority of the time, but <laughs> on, on the cases where you have a company like this, people, you know, the only, it's one of the only recourses that people have. They don't use Yelp. They're not the kind of people who use Yelp, but they just kind of sign on. They go, oh, I'm just going to, I'm really motivated to say how bad this company was. I'm going to review them with one star, but they don't know about the rules of having to use Yelp and make friends. So in these, in these kind of scenarios, it, it's not working. This review system is not working. And you're sure that's how the, that's how the filtering system works. They're filtered because the people don't have sort of a lot of uh, karma on the Yelp system. Yeah, they basically don't have karma. They don't have friends. They don't look like real users. I see. Huh. Now, now, so, so what I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm kind of a happy-go-lucky guy, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not really holding a big grudge or anything. But what I do think is, is that the Yelp could fix this. You know, the way that they could fix it is by doing a similar kind of scenario that PayPal does. Like when you sign up to, um, to PayPal, you know, you get fully qualified. They give you phone calls. They, ha- they deposit stuff into your bank account. They really do prove who you are. And you know how Amazon has the whole real name thing? Right. right. So Yelp should have that. They should have that, that even if you want to just leave one review, if you fully qualify yourself, maybe get something deposited in your bank account or put your, you know, some way to qualify that you're a real person. It could make a big difference because if you think about it, this company, right? I mean, imagine how many, it must cost people $100,000 a year in, in total. This is just one company. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> Other people going to Yelp and seeing these five-star reviews and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, Royal Transportation, North Hollywood. What a great company, you know? And I mean, it, it must literally swindle $100,000 per year. 
Yeah, that's one, one company. Income. Just yeah. that one company. Think about all the other companies on Yelp and how trustable you know people feel Yelp is. Yeah, well, I mean, you can understand from Yelp's perspective why they're motivated to do it that way in terms of promoting. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'd be interested to know more about the the filtering system, but it, it's going to be in Yelp's best interest that things are more highly rated than not because they want people to use Yelp and they want people to use these um, these businesses through Yelp, right? I mean, I don't know what Yelp does in terms of tracking, you know, how people end up picking a business. Do you know that? Is is there any way? So, for instance, the the, the moving company that you end up select that you ended up selecting, was there any way that that they found out that you found them through or selected them through Yelp? No, I, I didn't find them through Yelp. I, I can't even remember how I found them. It's just you, like through a Google search, but I just checked them on Yelp like I always do. I, with, you know, when I use a service, if I go to a restaurant or whatever, I'm going to use it on Yelp. And I think, and this is another part of it, it's because, the, because those kind of companies aren't exactly social companies like a restaurant or something. So they're going to get less reviews and they're just, just smaller fry in the whole system. So I think, but, but yet at the same time, because they're kind of hidden, it's easy then for a company like that to get by without getting noticed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, that's, I'm very skeptical of rating systems in general, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, the one you, you're pointing out here. I mean, it seems like they're so easily gamed. And so often if you go read like Amazon reviews and you go and you read, read the negative reviews, a lot of times people who never even read the book. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're like how how the hell are these people reviewing the book? They just disagree with the premise, or they don't like the topic, or whatever, and they just um, just trash it. And you're like, well, that that should not be, you know, a consideration. I, I don't know. I mean, I know it's sort of anti Web 2.0 or 3.0, and it's like crowdsourcing is the is the new big deal. Everybody wants in to have their say, but I don't know. I, and, unless you're unless it's like you have huge numbers of reviews so that you can easily sort of smooth out the outliers. Um, it seems like it's so often that you end up just getting a skewed, um, a skewed set of reviews. So you get like 10 or well, 12 people review it and it could be that half a dozen people left negative reviews just because they're, they disagree with the author. No, in which case. I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. And, and so how, how could Yelp police this scenario? They've got 12 one star reviews of people saying I've got completely ripped off. And like three five star reviews, like how you know, and and all the all the all the one star reviews are suppressed because they don't look like real people, and all the five star reviews are on there because you know what? It's probably like a reputation management company who's right. basically playing by the rules in in, in air air quotes, right? Well, and they they know how to they know how to basically get through the filter. Well, you know, you remember how we um we talked about that with um. Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Um, Head Headland um, was it? Uh, oh, H H H B Gary. Remember, yeah, remember yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. thing? And and that Aaron Barr was a CEO. Was um, they were he, he was trying to uncover anonymous and and do all this stuff. Do a bunch with with that. And he was a part of Palantir. It was like a three three or four company. It was H B Gary Federal Palantir and some other company were all working to make some kind of a group bid to the federal government and some other different branches of the federal government. And they were, and one of the things they were talking about was creating these sort of sock puppet systems. Yeah. 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 Being that you create, um, you create these huge or what they call persona management or whatever. So you create, um, applications that can generate that you can easily manage, you know, 50 or a hundred 
you know, personalities. You kind of build them up in a fake way and, 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 and sort of a, a very complete way. So, so like you say, okay, this is this kind of person and we're going to kind of describe the personality. This is their age and their demographic and yeah. where they live and where they went to school and put a Facebook and a Twitter and just kind of create a little footprint so they look real and you start building up and you keep the language and maybe the perspective um, consistent and one person could manage you know, 50 or a hundred of these things. And then when you want to have the personas say vote for or against something, um, then you, they're all ready to go because they're fully fleshed out personas and it's called sock puppeting. And, um, it's really, it's, it's really a nasty concept because, um, it's so hard to police and, and so many, um, uh, uh there's so much incentive to, for companies to, or in, and even governments to do that. I've heard of China and uh, Israel is, is, has, have both, there's both been things in the press the last six months about them doing it. Um, and, uh, it's just nasty. Okay. So That's I've got a question for you. If you were in the same situation as I am right now, right. Mm-hmm. And you had been willfully ripped off for two grand. Oh, by the way, been- by the way, same thing and the U S government. So it's not just China and Israel with the U S government. It's come on. It's, there's been stuff about how the, they've been doing that as well, or yeah. you know, what branch, whether it's, I can't remember was, you know, somewhere in the Pentagon or at CIA or whatever. So, you know, but it's, 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 it's getting, it's getting bad. And then the thing, the, one of the problems with it is that if you, if these things become a powerful force, then what is going to be the way to fight against it is requiring that people are not anonymous. Right. And then you have a whole situation where people are like, you know, have to, before they can actually do things or vote for things or having to like practically, you know, you know, it's like signing with a credit card or driver's license to prove who you are. And that removes, um, and this allows people to be anonymous, which can be also politically dangerous in certain contexts. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's a whole other long conversation, but. Okay. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, let's say you were in this situation and you were willfully ripped off for a couple of grand and without, without any, <laughs> just living with a bed and a desk for a month and a bit. A couple grand. Yeah. We, 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 okay. Right. Yeah. So, and, and you kind of knew this whole, everything that I'd said so far, mm-hmm. what, what would you do now? Like what would be your course of action? It's not much you can do. I mean, there's nothing that you, you don't have enough. Um, I don't know power or influence to, to, to affect them really. Even if you said you, you started tweeting about it, you wrote a blog post about it. I mean, you know, the, the but it's not- that's dangerous anyway, even just being that kind of a person. Oh, I'm the kind of person who wants to get this company you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, right. well, then you're, yeah, you're just one of these, 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 uh, squeaky wheel complainers who just, yeah, just moans about stuff. Right. So just like we talked about that on, uh, uh you know, the hacker news slap, the, the idea yeah. that if you're going to vote things down, that should cut, that should affect your karma, right. Negatively, yeah. because anytime you're going to, you're going to be negative and you're going to be, or, you know, or you're going to take a, a shot at somebody. I mean, it, it should be reflected in the karma as it is in real life. And the way it's reflected in real life is like, oh, Justin is, uh, you know, he's complaining and bitching about this person. Now, if you did it very, very rarely, we'd go, okay, well, maybe Justin has a point, right? But if you mm-hmm. did it like once every few weeks or a month, it'd be like, God, you know, right? It would be clearly a, uh, an issue. So you're right. But you're right. It, it, it does come at a cost. Anytime that you want to go out and make a big deal about something, it's going to cost you. I mean, I was thinking that one way that you could, you could get... Because here's the thing, this company, this company, Royal Transportation, North Hollywood, is ripping people off, right? It's ripping people off and no one can really find that out because they just look like they've got five-star reviews and they're a fantastic company. So, I, I mean, the only way that you could affect that company is by becoming like, 
almost like a you know a sock puppeter <laughs> basically by contacting all the people who'd done the done the bad reviews and saying to them look you know your reviews are below the filter you need to make some friends and all and so you'd need to take that kind of course of action which is not really a nice thing to do well it's frustrating because the amount of effort it would take you personally to feel like you're um achieving some kind of a just, justice in this situation is going to be way too costly right exactly. so how many hours would it take for you to um, to pull a bunch of people together or to build up some big reputation system so that your review is on the system. And who knows if that one review would really have much of an impact. Anyway, it might still get filtered for some reason that you don't understand. Um, I mean, you know, you know how much time we've, you know, we've been using Hacker News and it's just become clear at certain points, like, wait a minute, something's going on here, right? We yeah, thought we understood yeah. the system and all of a sudden there's this Hacker News slap that we just sort of discovered um or you know became aware of and so you could end up wasting a bunch of time and then you say oh you know i have all these friends i did this stuff i i, I created wrote all these reviews wrote all these restaurants that i've used so i built up a reputation system and now i'm finally going to write my negative review and get back to get back at them right create some tr- bring some truth to this <laughs> and then it gets filtered and you're like what the hell and then i hear you're going to call me up you're like this is total bullshit and you know i'm like yeah. well that was a good use of your time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I guess it's just, it's too grand, just take it, just take it like a man. It sucks, just take because it like that's, a how, man. that's how life is sometimes, I mean, it's just like with lawyers, it, it's too, it's too, it's not enough money to get an attorney, right, to sue them, right, because that's yeah. the more standard way of getting back at people if they feel like they've done something that is um, illegal or, or, or is uh, causing you money in, in an unfair way, in which case you take them to court now. And that's of course really expensive and time consuming as well. Um, and there's also, there's also not necessarily a good chance that you're going to get any kind of, you know, you know, judicial relief that's going to make you feel good about it. Um, but the only thing you can do is you might be able to take them to small claims, but I think it's too much for small claims. I don't think I can take them to small claims because they made me sign. Cause here's the thing. When they first, when they first came over this, the guy, like it was, it was basically a couple of movers, and um, <clears throat> a guy who basically looked like a bouncer. So he, and he was all very serious. And he, I was like, well, why, you know, why is it this kind of a guy? And he said, okay, now you need to sit down on the table and sign all these papers before we get going. So, you know, the first thing, now you, the first thing you need to understand is that the, the quote that we gave you was an estimate and um, we're actually going to give you a, a quote based on weight. So, so then once, <laughs> so then you, so then you sign all these, all these things. I mean, literally, I don't know, like 20 times, 20 signatures I had to do on this, on this print that was just so tiny. Anyway, so I'm, I'm just going off on a tangent here, but once everything was packed up, so then he says to me at the end, he says, now you've, you've got a choice either, <laughs> either I'm going to go down and estimate the weight and I'm going to give you a quote and you can go with that. Or you can come to the way station with me and we'll go to the way station and you, you will have to go with that. Now, if, if you choose the way station, whatever it comes out to, you're going to have to pay that rate. So you, so that's your choice. So it's like a gambling decision. Am I going to go with what the guy estimates or right. am I going to take the risk and go to the way station? Oh, and by the way, the closest way station is 14 miles away. So you've got to go 14 miles to you're the gonna way station. You're going to waste an hour and a half out of your yeah. day, two hours. Because you're going to drive all the way down there. You're going to drive like 40 miles an hour through the, t- you know, because you're going to probably take side streets because, you know, it's, that's probably how you have to get there. And at least part of the way. And then, then you're going to hit traffic and then you're going to, and then you're going to wait at the way station for other, you know, 
trucks to get weighed because you're not going to just like probably drive right up through like you're driving to McDonald's drive through or something, you know. <laughs> and so then you're going to and then George is going to call you you're like where she's going to be like where are you? And you're like well, you it know. was like a game show. Yeah, like he, it was going to be a nightmare. He basically, he basically says he says okay, I estimate it's this weight, and your original quote was one and a half thousand. Now your quote is three thousand five hundred and sixty-seven, right? <laughs> and so I'm looking at George and I'm going. Um, should we go for the way station or should we take this? And, you know, all of our furniture is like heavy oak furniture. So I'm thinking, oh my God, if we go to the way station, it's going to be six grand. And I've just signed all these pieces of paper. So I'm going to be stuck with a six grand bill, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the longest short of it is you got screwed and there's not a whole lot. Of you. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a good lesson about, uh, you know, taking, uh, taking these uh, online reviews too seriously. I mean, especially for something like that. I mean, it's one thing to like, you know, looking at a movie review on Netflix or a book review on Amazon. So if you buy a book and, you know, you spend 30 bucks and it turns out to kind of suck, you're like, oh, well, $30, right? But for something like this, you probably, in the future, probably better to either get the uh, recommendation of someone you know personally Who's, yeah. who's used it themselves recently, <laughs> uh, use the service, or um, you know, consumer reports or something like that. Because it's just, yeah, it's shady. And there's a lot of shady businesses out there, you know, and every once in a while it's like your number comes up, <laughs> you know. But isn't this so strange? I mean, I, I like to hope that, that the listeners of this show and that you, I certainly hope that you feel this way, but it's not worth living a life where you're ripping people off. It's just, it's just not an enjoyable life. Why would you do it? I don't get it. Uh, there's a lot of people who just, you know, they, they shave cor- they, sh- they people cut corners, they cut corners in life and they rationalize it to themselves. Most of the people who I feel like have done crappy things and I was on the receiving end of it. <laughs> and it's happened to me a number of times in business deals. I'll bet you, if you ask them, most of them would rationalize it in, in a way that they don't feel bad about it. They yeah. just don't. People yeah, they just cons- don't feel bad about it. They don't. They're just like, well, blah, 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 this, you know, and, and you're like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just people can, <laughs> people can create these sort of these false narratives that make them able to live with themselves and sleep at night. And um, when it comes to things like money, um, they will often, and it's, I mean, it's enough money, will, they'll oftentimes do it. You actually, you bring up a good point. Case in point, this, the TV series Breaking Bad. Have you seen that? I haven't. It's one of those that I know. Oh. It's like Mad Men. Mad oh my god! It's like one of these great TV shows that I, if I do watch, I want to start from the beginning. So and it don't. Gets, if you tell I'm me not, anything not gonna, about it, I'm do not, not going to say anything. anything. Away. I'm not going to say anything. But I'm just going to say I've I've just finished. Like what well, they're kind of halfway through season four now. They're kind of at the, they they have like a a sort of is it called a penultimate when you have like a middle kind of zenith. Anyway, I'm not sure. Yeah, the, the, your pen, well, your penultimate is your is just your second to last. Anyway, second to last, right? Basically, it's like halfway through. They've got the, they've got this like fifty percent climax kind of thing. Anyway, th- this show Breaking Bad is, I think, it's actually the best drama show ever ever made for television. It is just so good. It just gets better and better and better. And uh, you you have to you have to watch it. And and even the first you know the first season is good. I mean, the first season is really good and it, it grabs you. But it just gets better. I don't know how they managed to do it. They seem to get more detailed, more gritty. It, like, and it's oh, it's like a roller coaster. I, w- I want to ask but, you a question about that. But go, what, what, bring it. What was your point? Why were you bringing that up? Well, okay. The reason why I bring that up is because it's just a sequence of rationalizations. <laughs> That's what it is, and it's just Breaking Bad. That's what you know. It's, it's like how how he and th- I'm not giving anything away by saying this. Like he starts off as just a good 
family man, school teacher, and then just gradually gets worse in, you know, in, yeah. in doing illegal stuff. Yeah. And, and it's I, just gradual, very gradual rationalization. Well, I think that's, that's true of how things happen for most people or how it's just, it's the, it's the power of gradualism. You know, you, somebody starts out and they, um, it's easy to get people from A to Z when you don't skip a step <laughs> and you have yeah. a good reason why they have to go to the next step. And um, I think it's been psychological, sociological tests, you know, experiments that have done about, that have done this. And, you know, you can't just get someone to say, you know, oh, here, take this knife and go stick it in that guy. Right. It's the same the other way around. It's, it's the same for people who, who build great startups. Like they, they, they didn't just do one thing. It's just like gradual little wins. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like being able to get somebody from to go and do bad things, things that when you're growing up, it's been drilled in your head that those are bad things, right? That that's, yeah. that's that, the, that, that you wouldn't, you don't steal and you don't hurt other people and you don't lie. You don't, kind of, kind of, you don't do all the kind of stuff, but you know, if you, if you do it in small steps and there are, and you can come up with some kind of a reason and some kind of incentive structure to get people to make that next step, Oftentimes they will. Not everyone, but a good portion of people given the right incentives. And it's, it's just, you know, humans are, are not as uh, strong as uh, I think we like to believe they are. They're, they're very easily manipulated uh, into doing things or whether it's people manipulating them or institutions or just a series of events that they sort of get, you know, kind of like, um, you know, a, a, a floats them on the ocean. They just get pushed there by a series of bad things that happen to them and they end up just going down the path. And one of the, that's why I like, you know, like talk about like drugs, how sometimes people take, they start using a little bit, you know, something that's not very hardcore drugs and then they use a little bit more and a little bit more and then they become a drug addict and then they're on heroin and then they start performing petty crimes to pay for the habit and the petty crimes get them to a world of, 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 of bigger crimes, you know, and they just, they go to jail and then it's just it's like a downhill <laughs> So, do you want to switch sub switch topics? No, let's just talk about this for the whole. <laughs> okay, I've got an, I've got a nice topic for you. I I hold on. I, I, you, I I want to ask you about you before you do that. I want to okay. ask you about the. You said Breaking Bad was one of the best uh, dramas of all time. What, what what else is there to say? Well, what do you consider some of the other top dramas? Because I, I I'm just curious, like in your in your mind. You know, just so I get a, a sort of a context of what you consider some of the best dramas that you've seen. Well, m- I, I can't talk about series so much, but I'll tell you movies. Memento. Did you ever see no, that? No, 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 not movies, not TV series. Because this is about drama. So, like, uh, have you seen um, uh, Six Feet Under? Uh, yeah, I have seen that. I have seen that. That that is that is a good one. Um, but that's a that's a bit more quirky than in some ways than Breaking Bad. No, I, I, have you seen Mad Men? Yeah, Mad Men's fantastic. Mad Men's really, really fantastic. Better than Mad Men. All I know is I've got on the same on the same computer. I've got an episode of Mad Men, an episode of Breaking Bad, an episode of Vampire Diaries, and I'm I'm can't wait to see all of them. And it's Breaking Bad's the one that I choose. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. You know? And any other top ones have you seen? Because HBO made a bunch of these great. Um, well, obviously, I mean, obviously, The Sopranos is fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Although um, I kind of watched it after a while. I got kind of, uh, for me, it got a little just, the people were so screwed up. It just gave me like an ill feeling after every episode. <laughs> after a while, well, the one thing that the, the Breaking Bad does is because they have a small cast, like you get a lot more meat for each character, you know? Yeah. And they also do, they also do this thing where 
that Mad Men does as well. It's I, I think it's a trend. I don't know, but it's like they will do little sequences that are just basically not completely relevant to the show. It's just giving you a little flavor of something. You know, they'll just have like this two minute thing of just something weird, some weird character, you know, doing something weird. And then you won't see him for like another three episodes. And then he'll just once again be doing some weird cameo thing. But it's just, it's, it's giving a flavor of the whole ethos. And they, 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 they do that break in um, Mad Men a lot. They did that in Lost a lot, too. Do you remember, like, certain shows, it would be, you'd go into someone's past, it would be sort of their show, in a way? Yeah, but it's almost, it's not like that, where, where it moves the plot forward. That's not, what, that's not what's happening here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 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 Mad Men, it's the same thing. It's more like just a statement of, of it's more like a little artistic piece. Like, for example, in Mad Men, there was one scene. Um, we'll give anything where, away. No, it's not giving anything away. There's there's one scene in like, I don't know, the second episode or whatever, where the family go and have a picnic in a park. And they just have a picnic. They don't talk about anything that drives the plot forward. They just talk about random stuff. And the scene lasts for like a minute. And then at the end, they all get up and they just uh, like wave off the picnic blanket and just leave all the trash in the park. And that's what they did in the, in the 60s. And that's the statement. Really? You know yeah, that's like just people just left trash everywhere. They couldn't be, they didn't put it in 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 waste bins, right? And so that was just a little a little social statement. And Mad Men is full of stuff like that, just really interesting stuff. Little, what 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 would you call that? Like a little, oh, uh, your um, vignette. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Like little vignettes like that, and that's the same with Breaking Bad. It has all sorts of little vignettes like that, and it just gives it texture. Oh well, I. I think uh, Breaking Bad and Mad Men was already kind of on our list of shows that were kind of getting up the uh, energy to start watching. Because, you know? <laughs> like, I think when you, when you have kids, you know, sometimes you're just so wiped out that you have this idea that you're going to watch something, and then it gets yeah. to like by the time the kids are in bed and you've eaten, you're just like, okay, what do I want to watch? It's like anything more than a half hour, you're just like, you're like, I think I could maybe do Modern Family. It's like, yeah, hour. yeah, yeah. I think I maybe do Modern Family. No, no. I see, Bre- Breaking Bad is like. You know, it's like serious. It's like a steak. It's like a thick sirloin steak with mustard. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's the whole problem is that, you know, I don't know how many nights we have the kind of energy. It's usually it's like by that gets that time. It's like, you know, you, you just an hour, an hour of a drama. And is, uh, it's, a, it's sort of, I don't know. It seems like a lot sometimes. Just like, especially if you like want to read or whatever. But anyway, yeah. one thing, last thing I want to say before we move out of the whole, um, this topic area is, um, have you seen the, um, the uh, trailer for Prometheus? No, I haven't, but you've told me that it's awesome. It looks really good. That's the one movie I'm really excited about seeing. I think yeah. it's coming out in June, June 8th, I think. Um, and it's sort of the, I, I think it was billed initially as like a prequel to Alien, uh, which Ridley yeah. Scott directed. And this is also directed by Ridley Scott, who did, he directed, um, he's directed a lot of great stuff, but another, another one that people might be familiar with as Gladiator. And uh, so they have this one sort of viral trailer. It's like a TED Talk with Guy Pierce as Peter Wayland. And it's, it's the Wayland Corporation that made these, um, those robots. You remember Bishop, the robot in Alien? Yeah. You remember that it was like this sort of, almost, they, you know, people didn't realize it wasn't a human <laughs> until later yeah. in the movie. And so Peter Wayland is giving this talk about you know, the future and technology and his ambition. And it's really an amazing um, uh, sort of viral 
video. Um, but the Prometheus, the trailer looks fantastic. It really looks cool. Uh, and I don't think it's actually going to be, um, I, I think there's some debate on the web in terms of like how much it should be considered a prequel or not. I think the general consensus is, and I think um, Ridley Scott has said at this point, it's his own universe at this point, or it's, it's not really that same storyline, but okay, looks really cool. Anyway, okay. so go on. Cool. So you got another topic? Yeah, another topic. So uh, I think five days ago, um, I guess maybe Tuesday. Um, so I had a very interesting experience. I found out that the Plugio server, the only, well, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that's been keeping it working for the last two years is the fact that the database was slow. And I only found this out because um, I optimized the database and basically moved the database server off off the server, off the Plugio server, because it initially had everything on the one server. And I set up a separate uh, PH, uh, MySQL server, right? And the database became lightning fast. And then what happened is the whole app broke and fell over and stopped working. Before you get into the, that, because I, I want to I, I hear about the details, but when you moved it to, did you move to another VPS that was also on Rack Server? Yeah, Rackspace. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you move it to a you you spin up a new um, virtual server, and then you address it via what Rackspace calls the private IPs. Okay. So, so the private IPs is like a ten dot something that's in your private IP network, mm-hmm. and what that means is all the all the data between the two virtual servers is free. Well, and it's probably going on ten gigabit connections, yeah. and yeah. and it's within their uh, data center. Exactly, exactly. But it, but you don't pay for that data transfer, which is which is kind of a cool thing. And, and did you get a, a server with a lot of RAM? Because I know that MySQL, if you if you get a server with a lot of RAM and then you set the configurations to give it more RAM, that that can make it. Well, I'll tell you what I did. I I tell you what I did with with the help of uh, Jonathan Hill from Company Fifty Two. We we spun up a four gigabyte server and we installed Pocona. Right. Yeah, so we we went through the Pocona question answer that like they have this install situ- uh, install script and it basically asks you all of these questions and answers. So we just maximized it for that, and it's just it's lightning fast. It's well, really really good. Why don't you give a little tell people in case people didn't miss the episode? Um, Pocona is there's a company called Pocona, right? Yeah, that um, that has made a it's built the the Pocona engine is based on NODB on the NOB NODB database engine, MySQL yeah. database engine, because there's two, there were two basic database engines, my ISAM and NODB. Now, NODB has a lot of, is more sophisticated than it has like foreign keys and row level locking and, um, you know. So this is Baron Schwartz who we Baron interviewed. Sch- I can't remember the episode number, but anyway. Baron Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like maybe like six weeks ago or two months ago, not that long ago. And so he went into the, 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 the details for anyone who's interested. So there's been a few... I don't know if I'll call them forks, but they're just sort of new database engines that are based on um, the MySQL engines that work within MySQL. Um, Percona being one of them, Maria or Maria DB, which is another, and I think that was created by some Google guys. And then there's Drizzle, which I think is a fork that's based off of um, it was created by some actually uh, MySQL. So, so the reason why I moved it, by the way, in the first place, because I guess I never said that, was because the server had just got too slow. Like the, the database was, was just too slow and it, it was all just kind of grinding to a halt. And I think it had just reached the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Um, so I have a lot of Ajax calls going into that server and they just, when you were logging into the site, it was taking ages to, to pull in the first set of tweet results or whatever. 
Right. So anyway, we we spun up this other server and now um, checked in some code that rather than talk to this, the MySQL server on that system, it's it's talking to this other virtual server. And like, it's lightning fast. It's really, really fast. But everything breaks. The whole system breaks. I'm like, what? What you know? What's going on? What the hell happened? Like, is some kind of configuration issue? So I'm like battling with looking at all the different things, running through all the code, and finally, what I realize is is that looking at top, you know, top. Have you used that top? No, it's a it's a database sort of. Um, it's a no, database top, console, isn't it? Or that manages. No, top, top uh, is top is um, like Unix. So you type top, and then in the Unix, it it tells you the free memory of the system. It tells you the load average. Actually, let's talk about load average as well. You'll, you'll like this. Okay. It's, it's, All right. Yeah, that's right. what I thought. It was, it was big for analyzing how well something's behaving, right? Right. So okay. it, it looks at your system. So the load average was like fluctuating between 50 and 100. Now, load average should be... And th- this, this, this is also a great education in what load average was. So Wait, I, this I is can, the old version. The original version was 50 and 100%. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Um, load average, ever since it was invented, basically the perfect load average is 1%. No, no, I understand it, that, but you said something was running between fifty and one hundred percent. Yeah, no, no, not fifty and one hundred percent. It was the load average was running between fifty and one hundred, and basically it's supposed to be one. Right. So it was it, like. But you're saying original. You're just saying the original version of Plugio before you did this was running between fifty and one hundred percent. No, no, it was after I did the fix. After I did the fix, the server went nuts and the load average oh. went up to a hundred. Right. Okay. All right. So the server went ballistic, and I was like, "How is this possible? Like that database is so fast. It's like so quick. How can the load average be going crazy on this system?" Right. And should should I segue into what load average means? Because this Go is ahead. probably the right time to say that. Go ahead. Okay. So, load average, each one one unit is basically the optimal performance of one core. Okay. Right. So the the best way to describe it, um, I did some hunting around the net, and this explained it to me. It's that old checkout situation. So imagine you've got a supermarket and you've got four tills, and there's a queue of people walking up to those tills. Tills? At, you mean a checkout? You mean like a a checkout? Uh, yeah, in the UK. Uh, yeah, in the U- yeah, register. Yeah, in the UK we call them tills. <laughs> okay. Okay. Four so lines. Regist- four separate lines. Four no, no, it's it's one line. It's one line to four tills to four registers. Okay. Yeah. So one line of people, and they're going to those four cash registers. Now, how you do it in England? Everybody gets in one queue, and then you spread out. Because in the U.S., you just go and you go, which one's the shortest, and you just go get that line. I've seen it both ways in in the U.S. and in in England. But but to illustrate this this is this is what I need to say. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to make sure people because I, <laughs> I don't know what the hell till is and what you're talking about. That's not how I've ever seen it. Okay. Oh. It's a ca- okay. Look, it's one line going to four cash registers. All right. All is, right. Are you all right with that? All right. So yeah. this is injustice here. This is how. Okay. We- no, that happens in Target. Uh, anyway, yeah, I guess it kind of doesn't target us, right? Anyway, right, okay. So well, that just shows you how often I go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sandy does all that. So there's one line going to four cash registers. Now, uh, a zero load is basically no one's queuing up and no one's at any of the cash registers. If uh, like a twenty-five, uh, a 0.25 load is if one person is at one cash register. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so a, a, a perfect utilization is. There's four people, there's one at each cash register, and there's no queue. Right. Yeah, so that's a load of one. So a load of two is if there's four people queuing up, and there's four people at the cash registers at the same time. Okay. Because that's the way it works. It's like the time slice, and it's, it, it's queuing up the processes. So that, that kind of explains. So I, you know, a plug here was running at 100, 
right? So there was, there's lights. I'm like, what, what could be going on? Why is the server like? Wait, you mean you all know? four cores are taking up and there were 96 people waiting? It, 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 Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. That's 100. Not 100 percent. 100 on top. 100. No, units. no, no, no. 100. It's okay. Well, I no, because like I split, I split the cash registers up into four. So four, each one of those is 25 percent of one core. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah? So, but it's still so 100 you know, would be core. four. It, there'd be 400 people queuing behind. Good God. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So what what was happening was because the database was so much faster, uh, Plugio has no didn't didn't have any kind of it was fully asynchronous right and it, it plugio makes a lot of um javascript asynchronous calls because it just pulls in whatever information it can at the time so it's it's as greedy as it wants to be right mm-hmm. so basically someone logs onto plugio and all of a sudden the javascript goes bam 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 give me this information give me this information give me this information and before the database was so slow it was acting like a kind of qua- a quasi queuing system okay so it was like ser- serializing the stuff but now the database is so fast, it's allowing each client to take up like 10 Apache children. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so like, you know, even if 10 or 20 people are using the system, all of a sudden it's, it's like saturating the Apache, Apache pool and just okay. like bringing, bringing the server down. So ironically, for, like for like the last two years, the system has only been working because MySQL was so slow. So, <laughs> so what I had to do was I had to kind of force a non-blocking JavaScript Ajax queue. So what I'll do is that each client will make one call at a time and it will queue all the calls up unless any call takes over a second and then it like it pushes through anyway. So it's like a kind of semi-blocking queue. Right. So generally speaking, it, it for each person, it'll only do one queue. And it's fine from a user experience point of view because stuff happens really fast anyway. But when I introduce that uh, non-blocking queue... That's that basically semi-blocking queue. The load went from 100 down to like 0. 0.02. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, 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 I when, we, when uh, Gowan and I built uh, Prezo back in the prehistoric ages, like 2006, yeah. it was. Um, and that's what we built our, uh, we built like a, um, a queue for making a synchronous call. So nothing was blocking. But what we would do is just say like, you know, because you might do a lot of things. You might like create a slide, create a, you know, create a shape, do this, do that, you know, and you might have, and that might generate four or five calls, but it would all just stick in a queue and you could continue to do things. And, you know, from a UI perspective, nothing would change because we would just generate temporary IDs for objects that were created, let's say. But, um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't send a, 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 a sort of a, I don't know, a, a, an API request until the one previous to that returned. So we had yeah. a queuing system built into the, uh, the JavaScript, uh, the Ajax library. Um, and it was sort of funny, I realized much later on that I was sort of shocked to find out that, that, that jQuery or and some of the things libraries people weren't using, that were using, it didn't have that built in. Yeah. Which you, you kind of were surprised that I expected that. I was like, isn't that how it's what you would do it? But I guess, so that's what you did. Did you do that on your client side? You just built like your... Yeah, on the client side, yeah. yeah. So I'm basically pushing everything into an array. And then what I'm doing is when it, when the Ajax uh, response comes back, I then pick the next one off from the array. So it's like a queuing system. I'm not doing the whole timeout thing. I don't have like an interval set to keep on looking at it. Yeah, yeah, we did. We had we had built all that in. So that's so that's cool. So okay. So so I wrote a blog post about it. 
and it was on the front page of Hacker News all day. Seventy nine points. Not bad. That's not a bad do. I think it got up to what, like number six or something. Seven. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, not, not a bad. Too shabby. So give it a give a tip of the hat for that. Yeah, give a tip, tip of the hat. hat. Tip of the hat. You didn't ring the bell, <laughs> but it's a tip of the hat. <laughs> well, cool. Um, so now it's so Plugio is is lightning fast now. Is there is there a discernible difference? Between. Yeah, yeah, massive difference, massive difference. It's it's much faster, and the, just the whole thing's working better. Plus, also, I had a couple of tables which were my SAM, and I switched them over to InnoDB, and so that's also made a difference. InnoDB or Pocona's in uh, Pocona's engine? Well, Pocona, yeah. Pocona's they're, they're, in, they're version of InnoDB or whatever. Uh, I thought that just by using the Pocona server and specifying InnoDB, you're using Pocona's InnoDB. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I, I, just, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, we've talked, we, we talked a lot about it since I've never used it. I don't really know what it's called. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. So how much more are you spending on hosting on hardware than you were spending before? Because we had one server before, now you have what, two? Or do you have more than two? You no, know, I've got two right now. So before I was spending approximately 100 Now it's going to go up to 300 So $300 a month. Yeah. Or two yeah. VPS services, would you up, up the RAM or because CPU? One, one four gigabyte and one two gigabyte. Four gigabyte for your uh, yeah. for my for MySQL. But ultimately, we're going to change it around because um, you know in Company Fifty Two they've got a bit more experience at the whole scaling thing than I do, and um, where we, where we're going to move to is we're going to move to getting a lot of two hundred and fifty six megabyte front end servers that all feed off this database server. And then uh, from the same, the same thing that we're doing with the database server, we're also going to do with the Twitter. So there's going to be like one Twitter instance that just talks to Twitter, be one instance that talks to um, the databases, one instance that creates thumbnails. So split it all up. So each machine is like dedicated to its own little task. It's very specialized. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've got another quick one for you if you want. I have topics too, but um, uh, are we done with that? The, yeah, this is, this is super quick. Okay, go ahead. It's just, like, it's just a data point. Remember the um, the whole inspiration for Kaggle, the Netflix competition, the one million algorithm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that basically in- increased the uh, the users use of videos by something like eight percent. No, well, it created the the if I recall, it was that they improved the recommendation quality by ten percent over yeah, by, the yeah, over, by 10%. Over, over the best that was achieved by. Netflix internal uh, analytics or math department, or whatever they call themselves. Okay, so on ours, arstechnica.com, I'll read something from a blog post there, which is uh, that, that that algorithm that it paid a million dollars for, it never mm-hmm. actually, impl- it never implemented due to engineering costs. Mm-hmm. Never pushed yeah. through to production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't, did they say, because I, I saw that, uh, I saw that uh, headline somewhere. Did they say anywhere why? They just, they the just said the. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm quoting here from the article. The increase in accuracy on the winning improvements um, did not seem to justify the engineering effort needed to bring them into a production environment. Interesting. So I guess the calculation would be something like, okay, so if it's a 10% better recommendation, how much? How many more movies or how, how much more engaged are our users? Therefore, how yeah. much happier they are. Therefore, how much does that make them either a recommend the service to their friends, and or upgrade to um, a, a higher plan, or make them less likely to cancel the service? Right. It's in- it's interesting that it's it's like that that is like the proving ground in a way for Kaggle of this concept, but yet it didn't really result in anything. 
Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, you know how it is with big companies, right? I mean, cha- making any change is like moving the Titanic. Any, yeah, yeah. To, any anytime you have to make any type of a business or, or engineering change with small companies, it's usually much easier because it's you have less in the line, you have less users, you have less moving parts. Um, it's just easier to make changes. So um, you know, because Netflix making a change was too much, doesn't mean that you know that improved algorithm, improved analytics couldn't substantially improve their business and wouldn't be worth uh, the cost. So, but it also could be that, you know, the 10% improvement may really not be that much. It may, may not be that perceivable from a, from a user's perspective. But they were which, the one who put it out there, didn't they? They were the yeah. one who said, you need to hit this 10% mark. Yeah. Well, they, they probably thought, I mean, I don't know who knows what kind of analysis they did up front, but I'm guessing they figured that making a 10% improvement would be incredibly difficult because they probably had there there are improvements that they were able to make over the years probably from their best uh anal- algorithm up to that point was probably so small they thought you know 10 yeah. percent is going to be extremely difficult maybe they didn't really go through a lot of calculations on like well what does that actually mean in terms of improved user experience and and, and ultimately improved user value or increased business value i don't know mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> anyway just want to bring that up okay so what what do you got Oh, what do I got? What do I got? What do you got? Let's see. I got all kind of stuff. Um, let's see. Well, one thing. My um, here's a quick question. I got a little IT question for you. Hopefully, it's it's going to solve itself. But um, my MacBook Pro, yeah, is now has been on the has had a beach ball of death for the last X number of hours. Oh, I can't. I keep. I mean, so what happened was is um, I had used. I had been using it up at Uber. I'd been up at uh, Uber HQ for a few days. And when I came back and I, you know, was trying to log in and, uh, you know, check my G- email or whatever, you know, it, it, it was searching for, uh, the Wi-Fi because I couldn't find whatever the Wi-Fi was, the Uber Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just went into beach ball death mode. <laughs> and so then I'm trying to, you know, kill things and change things and nothing would stop. Finally, I just, was able to restart it, but it still could never fully restart. It just stayed on the beach ball of death. And I'm clicking the little restart button or whatever. Is there some kind of some secret trick to get this thing to like hard reboot so that it can? Yeah. That, well, one, one thing that it could be is I think, I can't remember. I think it's like you restart and hold down shift or you restart and hold down Apple. And then it basically boots in safe mode and doesn't load any of the extensions. I think something like that. I can't remember. Like right. we're talking 20 years ago when I did tech support for Apple, but I'm sure that it's, it's still, still the same. Okay, well, that's good. All right, well, then I'll, I'll try that out. I've been having, I, I haven't done any research on it. I was just uh, curious what the... One thing, and I've, I have recommended this before, and I strongly recommend this. For like 100 bucks, you can buy a one terabyte drive, you know, and Time Machine is built in. And with Time Machine, it just, it just takes like, you know, half an hour to, it'll back up the whole thing. And then from that point forward, if something like this happens, you can just reformat the drive and click a button and it sets it all up exactly like it was. So Time Machine, honestly, you need to get off your butt and do that. Now, will Time Machine require that, that um, okay, because you had suggested it for me when I want to move what's installed on my iMac to the MacBook Pro. Yeah, it, it, will, go, it will basically ghost it and it's clever enough to understand that it's a different computer. And is it clever enough to understand that one's Snow Leopard and the other one's Lion, or do I need to upgrade and you have the same version of the operating system? No, it 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 just moves everything. So what whatever's on your, what it it won't 
know about the lion if that's what's on your laptop it will just basically duplicate what's on your desktop to your laptop depending which way you're going so if you do time machine of either of them which which you you should you should do time machines of both of them unless you just want to use one as like a master right and so that that one you do the time machine and you just dump it onto the other one every now and again I'm a little skeptical about that. I just have a feeling that there's going to be a problem with, uh, you know, a lion and snow leopard. I'm just worried that that's going to cause more problems. It's going to solve. Well, the, have you it, done that yourself or are you just assuming it's going to work? Whichever one is the master will completely obliterate the other one. Like it, the, if you've got lion on one and snow leopard on the other, if, if the master is snow leopard, it will, it will get rid of lion. It will com- It's a hundred percent duplicate image. Hmm. Okay. It's just like it just it's just like stamping that machine onto the other machine. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah, so I would probably want to upgrade my iMac, which is which I consider my master machine to Lion. Exactly. First. So so he, well, I mean, the ideal scenario is that you you sell your iMac, you get the top of the line MacBook Pro, and you get a screen. And so you use the top of the line MacBook Pro to go up to San Francisco and work with Uber, and then you just plug it into the screen so that it feels like the iMac. So you've just got one and then you use the time machine and basically time machine, you can set it to just anytime it's plugged in, you know, anytime you plug that USB in thing, it automatically backs it up or you can just do it like once a week or something. But the point is, is that time machine will completely give you a working machine and get you exactly where you were within half an hour. Yeah. You know, you're actually right. I, I mean, obviously I've had the iMac for what, like a year and a half now, I think. Yeah. And, um, and that was a smart buy at the time because I, never was coding offsite. You know, I don't, I don't never had offsite clients or. or no, I, rem- like I remember we discussed it and I, I, I think I suggested at the time and you said, no, there's no reason. There's no reason. Well, because you spent like, I mean, for you to get a top of line th- uh, MacBook pro, you had like, you spent like 3,800 bucks. I think it was about 2,700 something. No, like no. Was it? You, I remember you spent like 3,800 bucks. I could, I was shocked how much it was like, I remember it was yeah. close to four grand. I mean, you really did, you know, you got like a really top of the line system. Did you get the equivalent you know, um, essentially in power and stuff in, um, for iMac, I mean, I spent like 21, 2200 bucks. And it's like, well, why? And then of course I didn't need a big screen. I got the big 27 inch screen. So it's like, if I wanted the big screen, which I would want, I'm not, I don't like programming on a little screen. I'm not nearly as productive. Then I would have had to drop what another, what, thousand fifteen hundred dollars for yeah, the 30 yeah. inch screen so and maybe i wouldn't have made it as a souped up machine as you maybe i could have spent thirty two hundred or something but it still would have cost me forty five five thousand dollars so you're talking a dramatic probably a 60 percent increase no it'd be more it'd be um no it'd be uh let's see more than twice the price probably well, you could minutes, get you, what you could do is you could get a 17 inch power mac PowerBook, and then it basically has a, a pretty big screen anyway, and just use that. Yeah, I don't know. That's still not near big enough for me. I mean, I yeah. I used to like having. I'd have two twenty-one inches. Even the twenty-seven inches small for me. I'm used to having. For years, I would have two twenty-one inches, uh, twenty-inch right. monitors since like two thousand. So even going down to one twenty-seven, I always feel a little cramped. So when I have to just program on a little tiny, fifteen or seventeen screen, I feel like it, I feel like you know. When you're used to working on a desk and you have and you're sitting there in a and you, in you just have a piece of paper and it's on your lap, <laughs> like I, mean, I can't really do anything. The, the, I guess the main point I'm making is the time machine. It's the ultimate security. It's the ultimate insurance because basically it's exactly the same as right. having your entire computer. You know, no, I'm not arguing about that. I'll sort of move beyond a, that. I, all right, I, okay, I, fair I, enough. Yeah. I, we've made the point on time machine. I get that. So I, but I would now say the thing to do. 
I, that I could do because I have the MacBook Pro, which really isn't mine. It's Uber's, but I mean, effectively, it's mine as long as I'm working with Uber, which is going to be a while for sure. Yeah. Then uh, I might as well sell my iMac, use the money, buy a 30-inch screen, and then they're always synced up, and I don't have to deal with it because it's it's the the, the MacBook Pro is faster, it's newer. Yeah. You know, I don't have to upgrade the line. It's already got line on it. And then, of course, I don't have to worry about, you know, every single time I go up to San Francisco, I'm like, okay, I got to kind of get resynced here and, and uh, everything. Because, you know, the thing with working with Uber is my setting up my development environment is always a pain because they move so fast and there's so many pieces to the puzzle that you have to install. So many different libraries and configurations and things that, you know, you got to be running Redis and Mongo and MySQL and you got a production database and you got to like, you got to run all these, you know, Python scripts to install all of this other crap. I mean, it just takes like, you know, if, if, if a month goes by before I'm up there, I mean, it's like I have to spend at least an hour, it seems, hour and a half. And if reconfiguring and if I have to download a database and import it, I mean, you know, tack on however many hours that takes. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Just one machine, one point but, of value. But Uber, what everyone at Uber does you know, their sort of standard is everyone has a MacBook Pro, either MacBook Pro or an Air. Actually, a lot of them have Airs now um, because they can just plug that in and then they have the big monitor and whichever keyboard or mouse or trackpad that they want to use. So then they can move around the office, move to conference rooms, be on the road if they want. And then when they're sitting down, you know, all of these, everywhere you sit down, they have like three or four of these like power, all those different plugs that come in for connect. Yeah. One's connecting to the monitor, one connects to power, one, you know, it does kind of whatever, but it's really convenient. I think that's really the way to do it. Yeah. And they have this new, I can't, I can't remember the name of it. It's like some Uber Firewire concept. So you just have what you just plug one thing into a computer and it will do everything. It will do your monitor. It will do your external hard drives or whatever. So you don't even need multiple USBs anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ryan uh, McKillen over at Uber just showed me yesterday. He had these like these new little USB, like this Apple USB drive. Have you seen that? It's, the new one? I mean, it's it's really really tiny. It's like a it's like a quarter the size of their normal. It's like flat, like maybe like a millimeter thick. Have you seen that? Oh oh, I, I've seen I've seen something similar, like where you get a wireless mouse and then you you plug in the USB and you and it just sticks out of the USB socket. I, I don't know. The thing's like a half a half an inch wide. Yeah, you know, quarter inch thick and like a, a millimeter tall. I mean, it's tiny. It looks like something out of Star Trek. It's so cool. <laughs> I was like, no, no, that is cool. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, another topic. I got another. another one. Uh, I've I've got loads, but uh, if you wanna, yeah, I got a you wanna, So yeah. one thing I, I've been thinking about lately um, is that the the rise of sort of the blog, the WordPress blog, or posterous blog, or whatever people use Tumblr, it seems like it's been great in the sense that it's allowed a lot of people to get on the web and express their opinions and ideas and knowledge in ways that they gives them an outlet they wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Right. One of the weaknesses of it though, I've noticed it seems is that the websites you go to are often much, much less interesting. Like people just write blog posts. Right. But I, rem- I, I feel like I remember before that time, you go to people's individual websites and it would just be like all kind of crazy pages with all kind of interesting lists and things that they were doing or working <laughs> on, like labs. Right. It was like walking, everyone had their own little crazy laboratory, you know? Uh, yeah. But that, was the, that wasn't, the, I mean, maybe that was the good times in some ways, but in other ways, that was like the crazy, the web on acid times. That was when well, everything was flashing and sparkling and well, animated yeah. I mean, yeah, you had, I mean, yeah, things weren't homogenous, right? I mean, now 
but the thing was is that you know so it was it was a trade-off because now you kind of you've hit mass production of people being able to post so but then you get all these people who would have posted anyway and would have had created their own website and they would have just kind of hand edited their html or used whatever editor they wanted and then created interesting pages for doing different things and might have it just would have been they just would have done cooler stuff and i don't i'm not talking about design i mean like you know people would have um just run a, d- different types of experimental stuff but that's like I mean, I that's still see, there but I don't that, see as much of that. I feel like people just kind of get lazy and they're like, eh, whatever, I'll just put a WordPress. Well, because you're not part of those communities. I mean, if, if you were a part of Forest or Dribble or whatever, like each one of these little communities, like it's, it's sort of become sub-communitized, <laughs> if there's such a word. So basically, that no, they totally exist. And there's people doing experiments. Like, for example, you know, people in, in the Flash forums, you know, they'll do lots of different Flash experiments and people in the jQuery forums will do all sorts of experiments. But it's just because there's so many more people, there's a lot more noise to wade through before you see what you're particularly interested in unless you subscribe to those communities and follow them. I'm talking about when you go to somebody. So if I go to justinvincent.com, right, that you would have had a more interesting site there. I'm not talking that you would have been contributing to other communities. But now it's just a blog, and then your, your articles are buried in a list of things that you wrote that are organized by, like, month, you know, 2000, uh, January 2011, what did he say? Well, that's, that's interesting because um, justinvincent.com has been always in one form or another something like that from, from Drupal was the first one. that when I. When did you first do that? I guess Drupal, I mean, like, I guess eight years ago, 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I never wanted to, to write that from the ground up. Never wanted to. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been... Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of don't, I just don't like the, um, I feel like it's rare that having a, your, your posts or your articles or what do you want to call them listed and then sort of crunched up into like month and date yeah. month and year because you can't find anything. You don't really know what anyone really has to say. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. I agree, I agree with you. I mean, there's, there's no question that the web has become homogenized and that's, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about the other day. So I was thinking about um, oh, a couple of interesting things on on my you know blog, which is codusoperandi.com. I um, I uh, we're bringing back. Did I tell you we're bringing back? Uh, that guy and I are bringing Prezo back to life. Yeah, you did. You did. Did, did I talk about that on the show? Uh, you did mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think I got to double check. So uh, you know, this company out of China basically contacted me and said they wanted to they wanted to potentially license the the code. So I don't have the time to, to deal with that right now. And so I told Gayon, I said, look, you know, how about I give you five grand if this thing goes through? If it doesn't go through, then nothing, then we none of us get anything, but I give you five grand because I think it'll probably take you somewhere, you know, maybe at most 20, 25 hours, but probably less. And, you know, he knows the code base really well. So he could, you know, kind of bring it back, pull out stuff that doesn't work anymore or never really got fully working and just get it up and going. And so we're putting it up on, um, putting up on Coda Operandi. And it was kind of funny. I was showing the guys up at Uber. Yeah. And I was like, we did this in 2006. Yeah. Like, you're like at six. And it was like a lot of the stuff that people get really crazy about, like, oh man, a lot of stuff you can do like in 2012. I'm like, we were doing that back in 2006. In fact, we started doing it in 2005. Yeah. And 
Um, there was no jQuery. There was no web. There was no you know Node.js and WebSocket and HTML5. There was no Raphael and Canvas. I mean, like our graphics stuff, where we drew shapes and stuff. Was we built our own graphics library that wrote on top of either SVG or VML, whichever whichever one was. There was IE it used VML, and if it was. Yeah. The other browser used FCG, and it worked on all the. It worked on Safari or in, in Fire, Firefox 1.2 and IE6. It was just funny looking at their faces. And they're like, "Dude, <laughs> it's like you know, 2006." So I was thinking they 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 got me thinking about it, and they, you know, they were like, "You should write a blog post about it." Like, you know, talk about you know how we did things, and and we got these things working back, you know, six years ago. As kind of a kind of as a you know just to show that you know obviously it's it's nice now that you have all these kind of libraries that you can write on top of but you know the things that and how we did them just sort of as a, as a curiosity like an engineering curiosity how how do you pull these things off with IE six and make it work on IE six and you know and uh, Safari but you'll still I mean you'll still you know like yes you were doing that then fair enough nice well done but you're still pushing the boundaries today with with the new stuff that you're doing like the point is is that's the kind of personality that you are you're always going to be pushing the boundaries and and working that way so i think in one sense yeah yeah that's really cool that's really cool but that's actually just what you do anyway so yeah but it'd be fun i just thought it would be a fun um kind of fun story because i had that one article about um you know the how i screwed up my google acquisition yeah post and it would be kind of fun like okay let's dig into the guts because now that we have it up for show now we can say yeah yeah, like here's a blog post. Here you can here you know log in, create an account. You can you know screw around with it and see how it worked. Well, you know what, what I'm talking about. And well, how's it going? I mean, what have they come back? I mean, did did he get it up and running? And you know, so I was up in San Francisco from Wednesday through Friday working with Uber. And whenever I go up there, I'm just kind of like I go dark. I just don't have time to really respond to emails. I don't really have time to talk to people. And I didn't obviously didn't have time to you know, really even work or even communicate with Guyon. I think he was working on it some. Um, and he's almost got it up. I mean, there was just, a, I think it was pretty close. I know that there, I've gotten several emails from the woman who initially contacted me. I know she's, she's interested. It wasn't just sort of a, you know, just sort of a random email she sent. So I know she's really interested and I've been kind of keeping her up to, say, up to date saying, you know, we're, we're almost there. Um, so I need to, uh, I need to do, I, I probably should need to, log in and check and I probably should connect with Guyon to find out where he is on it. But I think we're probably within a few hours of having it ready for show and tell. Well, I certainly so. wish you luck on that. And I think you deserve to get some money from it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like pennies on the dollar, you know, it's like, so I told them I, when they, you know, I, they asked me like how much, you know, you know, the, the woman's name is Jennifer. So she, she said, well, how much, would you charge? And I said, I don't know, 50,000 for an exclusive license for China. And I just, cause I was trying to come up with a number like, well, what, you know, whatever I, whatever we get is obviously going to be split between, you know, me and my two investors and then whatever I need to pay guy own. So what am I going to see? 10, 15 grand out of you it. Sure you, you sure you want to say the figures on air? Why? Why would I matter? I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious. You just can say if you want, you and you had Sam. No, no, you just said them. I'm just I saying. I know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just okay. Giving me a hard time. Who cares? <laughs> All right, fair enough. It's, well, you know, because it, it, it may help you. It may, um, I'll tell you why, because it may impinge on your negotiate, negotiating process with this woman. Oh. I don't know. I have no idea, but oh. I'm just saying. If, if, if you give the figures out there and speak about it with some kind of intent or some kind of emotion oh. behind your voice, it might change 
how no. much she's prepared to pay. No. Right, make just, you know, that's this. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I was just like, what number is going to be the minimum number that I would want to deal with it? Right. <laughs> thousand to be enough. Anything less than that is just not worth my time. It's just a headache, right? Because I got to go back and forth with emails and coordinate with Guyon, and then I got to, you know, get back in the loop with my investors. Say, hey, so we're going to do this, and then we're going to get a contract on. You know, it's a pain in the butt, right? Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. And then they're going to want to, and then they're going to come back to me and say, okay, well, we want to talk about adding some new features and do this, and how's that going to get done? And then I got to, you know, all right, Guyon, do you want to do the consulting work? It's just, it's just a headache, right? If I get, you know, if I got maybe fifteen thousand out of it net, maybe I'd feel it's worth it. Anything less than that, I'd just be like, screw it, you know. So, so if this was any foo, your rate would be something like five thousand dollars an hour. (laughs) It'll probably uh, it'll be more. But see, there's the there's the the uncertainty of it, right? So it's like you know, if we're talking fifty thousand dollars, just think it's like a one in five shot or four shot that it's actually going to act come to fruition. So you know, you figure. Therefore, you need to multiply um, whatever value you would be charging by four or five to just increase your, your probability, your sort of risk adjusted return kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, ultimately numbers are just a lot of times just what you think is sounds reasonable. And, but, uh, the, the side effect is nice that it's just coming back to life, you know? So when I talk about it on the show, people can actually see what the hell I was, Prezo was or is or whatever, you know? And, uh, as opposed to me, just sort of wave my hands. I was like, Oh, we built this web-based version of PowerPoint back in the prehistoric <laughs> ages. And people are like, what the hell is yeah. he talking about? And I say, well, yeah. So I think by next week we'll probably, I may even set up a subdomain. We'd be go to prezo.codesoperandi.com or something. That was kind of cool. Um, but I guess some other topics. Why don't you go? Give me your, you go next. What's your, what do you got? Sure. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Jason Calacanis post, you saw that one um, about, and there isn't too much to talk about in this, but it's still just an interesting data point, is um, he's basically saying that Apple could become a trillion dollar company overnight if they became a payment service. Mm-hmm. Because they've, he's, he's basically saying, look, they've already got 100 million credit cards on file, you know, like Amazon have 100 million credit cards on file. And with, with your iPhone, you could just basically go out, you could leave your credit cards at home, you could go out and you could pay for pay for stuff mm-hmm. and you know they could just take a take a, a slice of the transactions and instantly they've just multiplied their value to like a trillion dollar market cap and what so do what do you think about that i think that um i think it's it's probably a, a pretty good point and uh, you know I, i'm guessing the reason why he's saying that is probably because he wants to inspire it to happen so that he could say that was my idea <laughs> um yeah, but I think I think he probably makes a good point. I think it's possible. Well, I think it's I, I, I think there's anything wrong with that. Like, if if you have an idea for something, might as well put it out there. It's not like he can trademark the concept, really. Yeah, implementing it, it just shows him as sort of like a thought leader. If yeah. he can sort of sort of predict how these companies are going to do business and how they can improve their bottom line and stuff, and you know, you can just be part of the one of the leaders in the conversation. So it just it would be it's sort of annoying when you say I would be annoying for him if he had these ideas, told a half dozen of his friends, and then six or twelve months later, you know, Apple or Google or whoever he's talking about does this. And he's like, yeah, I totally called that. People are like, yeah, yeah, sure you did. But <laughs> at it, least it, now it, he gets credit, yeah. you know? So basically, iPay is, is the name that he thinks it should be called. And it, it, it's just, it's simple. It makes sense. And why shouldn't they? So iPay would be like the, the new PayPal. And you would, as long as you had an Apple ID or Apple, yeah. You, yeah. you'd be good to go. Yeah. 
So you just you just take your take your phone. I mean, I guess you could literally just pay pro- probably even just by logging in with your Apple ID in some shop. But I guess the fastest thing would be you'd have an app on your iPhone and you'd like click a button and it would just pay it. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, I, you know, because I don't use my uh, my iPhone for a lot of things, just basically because I spend most of my day sitting in my house behind the computer. <laughs> so when I'm out in the world, I'm just, you know, I'm at the gym or I'm with the kids or something at the park. So um, it was interesting. I went out to dinner with a buddy of mine and we were at uh, Starbucks and he uh, he just held his phone up and bought a Starbucks. I'm like, that was cool. What did you just yeah. do? And he's like, what do you mean? You don't have a Starbucks app? I'm like, no. He's like, dude, he's like, where have you been? <laughs> you know, I had a little barcode and I'm sure like probably half of our listeners have done something like this. I just had sort of just missed it. And it's the same kind of thing. You just kind of, it's right there. You just hold it up, barcode, boom, you're done. Yeah, and- we were in, we were in some shop in Savannah and Home Plus and this, this old lady, like 75 year old on our way out, she says, you know, you can get 20% off if you sign up for our coupon, just go to this address on your phone. So, Georgie types in the address and like lo and behold, about a minute later, she has a, like a barcode on her phone. They scan it in and we've got the 20% discount. Yeah. You know, I feel, so they have that for like when you want to check in um, at the airport, um, yeah. like you, you know, you, in the old days you would go up to the counter. I guess sometimes you have to be, if you have luggage, you'd go up to the counter and you'd wait in a long line and they would check you in and take your baggage. And you just sit there for 10 minutes while somebody's typing in all this random crap. You have no idea what they're typing in. They're like, all right, here's your boarding pass. Right. And then it got the point where you went to a little console, the self-serve console and you said, here's my seat. Yes, that's my name. No, I have one luggage. Boom. One piece of luggage. Boom. Print out my boarding pass. But now, and then not too long after that, or maybe around the same time, you could print out your boarding pass like the night before or a few hours before. And that's what I've been doing, but I'm, I'm way behind the times because now it's on your iPhone or your Android. So, but I'm always a little nervous about using it because, like, I don't want to get there in line and be like, there's some kind of a problem. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, oh, this actually is the wrong whatever. And then I'm like, screwed. So I've been kind of really conservative. I just keep printing out, like, I was at Uber last night, uh, was it Friday night? And I was like, should I do it? Should I do the iPhone? And I was like, ah, screw it. I'm still going to print out the piece of paper. And I was thinking, this is pretty stupid that I'm doing it this way, that I'm not actually using So they that. scan the barcode off the screen of the iPhone, right? That's how, that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. So I, I, I guess the way that... The, I'm just wondering how... So the laser scans the black and the white, <clears throat> and it can tell. But what it just makes me think, like, how... This is probably going to be a stupid question, <laughs> but how does screens shine black? <laughs> how do you shine black? What do you mean shine black? But basically, it's... How does how how is the black uh, color on your... Well, of course, a black isn't a color. It's the absence of color. Yeah, but so, so does it... Does uh, does black work? Because it looks different to when the screen's off, which is basically actually black. So it's shining something, but it's just shining black. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about LED technology, but I think there's just is no color. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have a listener comment and explain. I would love how uh, please, LED if, screens if, actually show color and black and everything else. If you yeah, was, if any listener, please do post on the on the blog. Like, how does how does it make a black? Because if it's just it can't just be absence of color because it has to sort of, I guess it just blocks out as much as possible the light shining from behind. That must be what it does. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. a good question, though. Somebody help us out. <laughs> how basic technology works. Well, because it has to work well enough for the, for the scanner to see a barcode there, right? So if it, if it was just shining, then the scanner wouldn't see the barcode. 
because it would just be light get on light right you see what i'm saying i i, I get it all like, right speaking of advanced technologies go on <laughs> i just read an article um about how i can't remember which let's see if i have the link to the uh the particular article yeah it was on uh, the register and it's a ger- it's some german researchers i don't know what institution have uh demonstrated um a technique it says this is German researchers have demonstrated a technique that allows them to create entanglement between atoms in different places using photons to put the atoms into an entangled state. And so, and this is at the uh, Max Planck Institute of Quantum uh, Optics. Yeah. And uh, he says, and I guess it was explained in the, they had it in uh, Scientific American. And he says, um, oh, wait. Uh, no, I guess this was, pro- it was proposed. Um, let's see. Well, whatever. They can read. I'll, I'll put a link to the article. People can read them themselves. But he goes, they finished off the last. Um, couple sentences he says um entanglement of two systems separated by a large distance is a fascinating phenomenon in itself however it could also serve as a resource for the teleportation of quantum information one day this might not only make it possible to communicate quantum information over very large distances but might enable an entire quantum internet Hmm. oh yeah was that was that the the quantum entanglement, was, right? So, like, was, was that the one where it said today, today was the birth of a quantum internet or something like that? There was some blog post about it. I don't know. Maybe I. Okay. Know, a post, but so the idea of quantum entanglement, or I think Einstein quote was, I think it was his phrase or quote when he called it spooky action at a distance. Hmm. So, like, you, you know, you're you're changing some particles here, and then at the other side of, you know, some long distance, or maybe it's the other side of the galaxy or universe or whatever, another particle is affected instantaneously. Yeah. As if like they were connected by a wire. There's no, it's not like you have traveled the speed of light. Um, so they call it quantum entanglement. And, you know, it has, it has some implications. They talk a little bit about that for like quantum computing and everything. But um, yeah, it's kind of cool. Like some of these crazy like thing, equa- crazy physics that they speculate. You'll, you'll, you'll read some article and like, well, someday it might be possible to do X. Like they're actually starting to get little proof of concepts of this working in real life. Did you see the, the one about light table? They're just switching topics here, a new IDE concept. Light table, no. Yeah. Some kid basically has come up, has, has come up with the idea of simplifying the IDE, the integrated development environment. And basically, he's re-examining that problem, right? And saying, oh, how, how- you know, I read about the first third of it, but then, I, like I said, I was working on Uber, Uber, so I couldn't really... They didn't have a chance to read it, but so yeah. you didn't watch the video because the video was yeah. good. It was like it's a great concept. Basically, that there's there's a few different facets, but one one of the things is, um, so imagine you've got you've got your text editor split into two screens. So you you type your code on the left hand screen, mm-hmm. and then on the right hand screen, the code is typing out, but the, it, it's like a debugger. It's evaluating the variables instantly. So a var becomes its kind of hard coded value. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like the whole the whole thing's flowing in real time of what all of the variables mean. So it's kind of like merging the concept of like uh, edit a file and compile or run it through interpreter versus uh, you know the, you know, and they compare that to the the REPL, which is you know like you know like a lot of times they have this sort of um, you write your code and you type it in immediately, it's evaluated like in Lisp or Python environments. So it's kind of like that. But it actually looks like the code. So basically. It is, it, it's, it is the code, but the variables are then replaced for the numbers or whatever. So you, so you just see your code running like as if you're running it in a debugger. You, you know when you've stopped it at a breakpoint? Right. Well, how do you know you what can, values are going through it? I mean, and what? Well, because, because basically 
it'll have like a a, a, a bracket after it, you know. So if if it says like dollar var, like it'll, mm-hmm. the bracket will say five, whatever whatever it is. Okay. And it's just as you type it, it it's compiling it with each keystroke. That looks pretty cool. Does this work, or is this just sort yeah, of like? Yeah, it's working. He's he's built it. And so so then another another nice little concept he's got is that basically when whenever you code a function and you reference other functions, it treats each of those functions like a little document. So it's like a little card. It brings up all the connected functions into the right-hand side in real time and basically shows all of those, all of the functions that are involved. And you can kind of then move them around and rejoin them together in different ways. It's very cool. Very kind cool. Like Lego, like a, like a Lego yeah. approach to very cool. composing your functions. Is it... Um, so is this like an is this an IDE or editor that you can just download and start using? Well, he's ju- he's just written it for himself, so it, you you can't use it. Like he's just written it for himself, and he's basically proposing the concept. But oh, uh, he's okay. he's got it working. He's got it working. He's got it working in a in a you know he can he can he can drive it, but it's not ready. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking, Alex, well, that sounds pretty cool. Um, speaking of sort of advanced uh, technologies, have you did you see the thing about Meteor? No, you did. How'd you say? I had like I had like over a thousand points. It like sat at number one for like two days. Um, I I didn't get a chance. I I bookmarked and I and I just read like uh, a little bit about it. And I guess there's a bunch of videos or something. But it's sort of like I guess it makes it really easy to write these real time, um, you know, JavaScript based front end. So as you write, I guess you have JavaScript on the back end and on the front end, and like it just glues it all together and things happen instantaneously. Well, and like PubSub. No, I think it's much more. It's 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 sort of like it's 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 going to be like the new Rails for JavaScript application. Like Rails was just okay. quantum leap forward in terms of like structuring how you build a web application and and making it way easier to get things up and running quickly. I think mm-hmm. Meteor is the next step. Like I didn't again. I didn't have a chance to 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 watch the videos. I, if I had had a little more time, I would have and talk, to have it ready for the show. But I um I guess one of the guys at Uber I was talking about talking to about this. He said that they like rebuilt Asana in like a hundred lines of code or something like that. One of the guys was an early employee at Asana. So I guess since he left he, they used Asana as an example of like, you know, of like a, a really cutting edge, you know, client side JavaScript based application. And they said, all right, well, here's how you build something like that with Meteor. And uh, it's supposed to be just simply amazing. Hmm. So, and then something similar to that, I, I was playing around with it in a little bit, a little bit, but it's like this automatic backend um, and, and, and JavaScript. You, you could, by just inserting some scripts and some simple things in your HTML, like it created the whole backend for you automatically called Firebase. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Sorry. No. Are you ignoring me? What are you doing? No, I'm not. I'm looking, I'm reading, I'm reading the Meteor website as you're speaking about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm, I, I'm backgrounding you, but I'm backgrounding you about what you're currently talking to me about. <laughs> Okay, so I think I think I think the, I saw all three of those technologies, and and I think they're all worth looking into, which are is, like you said, Lighttable, Meteor, and Firebase. They're real all yeah. cutting edge stuff. It just you know, I, like all of a sudden, I think I I, I mean, Firebase looked really badass, but Meteor at least rea- at least at least at least based on the way people reacting around the Uber office, it's like that's like the that's going to be like a, a big deal. There's just all that. This is the thing. There's always new cutting edge stuff. Yeah, but some things are like, are I mean, yeah, there's lots of new stuff, but some of it just ends up being kind of like 
I would say a false start, but it, it's like you can spend a lot of time in it, but it just really doesn't go anywhere, right? But every once in a while, there's something that if you get on it early enough and you understand that stuff early enough, then you can be a big player in that and you can get, you can get write a book on the subject, you get hired as a high-paid consultant, you uh, get you know, jobs in that. So you know, we're talking about people like, well, how do I get started in consulting? And you know, my advice has always been is like, go find one or more cutting edge technologies, learn them, write some tutorials on them, build some projects, and you'll almost guaranteed to get hired either as an employer or consultant somewhere. And okay, Meteor so- would be the perfect type of technology because it's so advanced, it's so cool um, that if you, if you went out and just said, all right, I'm going to go write a series of tutorials on, on Meteor, you'd make yourself into like, you know, one of the Meteor experts over the next few months and there are going to be a lot of new startups who are going to be like looking at Meteor seriously. So this is the top comment. I'll read the top comment out on Hacker News. Um, it's just two sentences. Yeah, Luigi says, this feels to me a lot like how Rails felt back in 2005, a fundamental leap forward and an understanding of where tech, tech, web technology is going. I haven't felt that way about Node.js or even its higher level frameworks like Express or Batman. This feels like the one, in quotes, even though I've been absorbing the docs and screencasts only for the last 20 minutes. And obviously people think that that's, that's the best thing. So that's voted at the top. So yeah, yeah, I think that really is worth looking at. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, cool. So um, you want to switch topics? I got another thing. I thought it was kind of funny. Sure. So We've done like an hour and a half or getting, okay. getting up there. Just yeah, I got, a, I got a, two more things I want to bring up. So um, one was, uh, I, I had read an article about, um, what was it? Uh, there, there's a moon. Um, I can't remember the, let me see if I have the name of it. Uh, there, well, the, the, the thing just, on the moon? The, the thing on Mars? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> there is a, uh, I, I, I can never pronounce it right, it's Enceladus or Enceladus or whatever, but it's a, it's one of the moons of um, Saturn. And right. I guess the Cassini probe has gone, made some flybys, and they're seeing like all of these gigantic plumes of like water vapor shooting out through the ice. So they think that there's like this ocean of water where the salinity is exactly the salinity of of the oceans on earth mm-hmm. and it's underneath this icy, this thick icy layer, but there's a lot of heat that gets, gen- there's a lot of, they can, uh, that's kind of generated from the, the internal uh, part of the moon. Just like, and the reason is because of the gravitational pull of the, um, of Saturn on the moon deforms the moon. And, and just like, you know, how you like, will bend like a paperclip and when you bend it back and forth, it'll get kind of hot. That yeah. kind of deforming of it is creating heat inside of it, which is then, funneling up through these oceans and then of course it's creating energy and of course energy um with the right kind of organic chemicals can it is you know um hypothesized could be how life eventually uh evolves right yeah and they say they're i think i think they said they're either they're speculating or um that there are some organic compounds or that's organic in nature so it was really interesting so i'm sitting at the park today um, this morning, you know, with a bunch of my printouts, trying to read some stuff, get ready for the show. And um, my my son Colby, who's uh, seven, he his bike something screwed up with a bike crank and it wouldn't work. So he's sitting next to me, kind of bored because he's like, "You want to ride his bike? Did anything to do?" And I'm like, "All right, Colby, let me tell you about this." So I start telling him about it. He's like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "Yeah, it's like a moon. It's like around Saturn. I saw it. It's like ice, and it's like there's oceans under the ice and stuff." And I'm like. <laughs> Dude, kid, you're seven. Shut up. <laughs> like, how? I mean, he's, he's seen a whole science special of this. It was so funny. Like, he, 
I didn't even have to say, I said, hey, there's a spoon called Ensley Ryan. He's like, yeah, he, he knew about the ice. He knew about the heat coming up and the, and the oceans and it's, and it's putting up the, spouting up the plumes of water vapor. I was like, wow. You know, that's, that's uh, straight, you know, let's chalk one up for uh, the discovery. He's paying attention to someone. <laughs> no, it wasn't a me. It was the Discovery Channel or the Science <laughs> Channel. You know, because he watches tons of those um, Science Channel specials on whatever. It's dinosaurs or mammoths or universe or whatever. But I thought it was really funny. It just like, I thought I was like, hey, kid, let me, let me instruct you in some cutting edge science. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's old news, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um Anyway, anyway, I got I got one more topic thing I want to talk about. Unless you got something, else. you want to slot something in? Anything else? You're um, well, I'll just I'll just just data points. I'm I'm all into data points right now. Um, what do you mean data points? Just like little snippets, just little snippets to throw to throw things out there to add texture, vignettes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, what you, what, let's, okay. Just a quick one: venture venture capital fundraising in the U.S. plummeted thirty five percent in the first quarter of two thousand twelve. The total pot at the end of the quarter was 4.9 billion, raised by 42 separate funds. Just throwing a data point out there. So, what you're so is this your is this your version of the doom and gloom report? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, so VC funding plummeted. Now, is this following a trend, or is this just like one uh, aberrant quarter? I think it's just one quarter. What 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 they think? Well, what they hope is that people that the that VCs are holding back. And they're ready to go for the big one uh, next quarter. The big, the big investment quarter. Yeah, they're waiting. What's going on with a Facebook IPO? Isn't that has that happened yet? That hasn't happened yet. That's going to happen. No, it hasn't. But the the whole the Instagram thing. What did, did Instagram IPO? Did Instagram's no, worth a billion yeah, dollars or something? Yeah, Facebook bought Instagram. For oh, face, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 100, uh, for a hundred for a billion, and it was like three days after they closed their was la- their latest round of funding. Yeah, funny. So it's like, well, why would you dilute yourself? And I guess they were sort of using, I think in some ways they were playing the valuation either to their investors or to Facebook off one another. So like if Facebook's about to buy you and you're, you're like, well, you know, the investors think, well, hey, we want to do another round and we want to go big. And so we'll, we'll, we'll increase our investment or, or vice versa. But I guess, you know, however it worked out, um, they got the founders that got got unnecessarily diluted because they took a bunch of investment, gave around, gave away a lot more of the company to various VC firms, and then it got bought three days later by Facebook. Now, <laughs> when you get bought for a billion dollars, even if you were diluted to buy, you know, that's still a lot of money to go around for something that's, for a company that's been around for like, you know, what, a couple years or something? Yeah. Pretty amazing. So, um, anyway. So, anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about, um, actually, sort of two related things. Um, I was, uh, there was an article I, I read, I meant to bring it up last show, but I think we kind of ran out of time, was, the title was, uh, MIT's study predicting global economic collapse by 2030 still on track. Hmm. Did you ever see that? No. Okay, so, there's a guy named, I think his name is Jay Forrester, and he wrote a book, it was back like 1970 or something, called The Limits of Growth, or the, and it was, I think it was for the Club of Rome was a group of, I think it's a group of scientists and economists and different people who are trying to get some understanding of like, you know, uh, things like this, like, you know, what are the limits of growth? Um, whether it's talking about energy population, you know, um, pollution, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess they did an updated 
the the scientist at uh, MIT did an updated um, model based on this kind of stuff, and they're saying that 2030 things are looking really bad because um, you know running out of energy, too many people, too much resource depletion, whatever. So um, I'll put a link to that so people can take a look at that if they want. Um, Because I saw a different study that was also another article that I had sort of bookmarked to read or kind of read. It was was in uh, Ars Technica. It was called Hot, Crowded, Running Out of Fuel, Earth of 2050, A Scary Place. And so basically it was a new report was published by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is sort of like, um, you know, I guess representatives from like most of the first world countries. And uh, they, they're mostly concerned with economics, like what, how do we, how do we, how do we make the world, uh, how do we make people in the world wealthier and help, you know, how, how do you make, you pull these people out of poverty, these, these nations out of the third world and make them more productive and self-sustainable and things like that. So, but they're saying 2050, but I think they're also making certain assumptions about energy and uh, they're, they're big. One of the things I thought, which is sort of, I caught my eye was that, well, you know, they think like oil and fossil fuels are going to peak in 2050, which Chris made me laugh because like oil peaking in 2050, like <laughs> that sounds awesome. It's like incredibly optimistic because um, I think, I don't know, I haven't really paid as much attention the last year or two, but I mean, it seemed that oil, was, oil production is peaking or is damn near close to peaking or, or has already peaked, or, you know, in the last year or two. But um, so anyway, this kind of got me thinking. So I don't know. I'll put links to these. People can look at them if, if they're interested. But um, it makes me think we need to get any food up and running and get it, make our money within the next eight years. So at least have 20 years to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's 2030, then, you know, you know, you got uh, if you get it in eight years and you got 10. Oh, 10. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's even worse. I, I don't know. I mean, see, the thing about these studies, which these simulations, they say we ran a simulation. Okay, we have a model. Like, well, what the hell is your model? You know, like mm. what? I mean, because these really complex systems have all these sort of feedback loops, positive and negative feedback loops, and this sort of the study of complexity it gives you one of the things you figured out really quick is that small things can make have a major impact, and it's, sometimes it's really hard to predict what those small things are going to be and how they're going to affect the system. So, black swans. Make, yeah, exactly. You make these sort of simplifying assumptions is like, well, you might have simplified something that made sense, but it turns out you smoothed over something that's going to have a critical, it, it has a critical effect on the overall model. It's so like me- Meteor came out of nowhere, like some, some new framework that all of a sudden is going to take over the world. Just well, there's things, and, like, there's things yeah. like that, right? So you have like a, a, you know, a meteor comes out and demolishes, you know, a continent or demolishes a, you know. Oh, a, I, I meant the web framework that we just discussed. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or okay, a meteor. A I'm, I'm just saying like some, you know, a couple of random guys decide to have a go at building a framework and all of a sudden their framework takes off and changes the, the economy within the, you know, the, the new technology world and just loads of random weird. You, how could you possibly predict anything? Based with that, based on that, yeah, that's right. Now, I think it's going to take more than a um, than a web framework, but <laughs> no, I know. But you, the the point I'm making is is that there's one tiny little thing, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. going to have an impact. And so this could be so many different things. Well, yeah. Look, for, well, one example is like I I I I, sh- I wish I had I need to do a better job bookmarking this stuff, but I feel like over the last two months, I've seen at least a half dozen really interesting articles about improvements in solar 
power, solar generation, like these MIT scientists talking about how they're stacking solar and they make it vastly more efficient and even at all kinds of times of the day. And then these, these new capacitors that are built on graphene that are just incredibly efficient, can store tons of power, way better power density. And there's this new solar, uh, these, they make these solar panels that are, um, incredibly thin it's like it's like kind of like this um like uh like a really flexible like paper or something i mean you know it's like so eventually something comes out either one technology or combinations of three or four technologies anyway you have one of these technologies or some combination of these technologies you know all of a sudden change the entire landscape of what is possible say in energy production which of course is one of the most important technological things that we have to deal with you know it's like well, what what's our what are the limits on our on our energy so, I don't know. But so, what I was thinking uh, about as I was I was looking a little bit into the uh, the type of simulation they do, and they it's 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 part of a field called system dynamics. And this guy, I think this guy uh, Jay Forrester was one of the um, real. Um, I don't know if he founded the field, but he was one of the. Uh, he he made it kind of a big. He was he was a big deal in that area, and initially it was used to like. If I'm remembering my Wikipedia articles correctly, that they used it to like simulate like uh, industrial plants, like you know, you know, if, if we if we increase production here or we do this or we that, like what 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 happens? Like how can we maximize our productivity? And I was looking through like all these you know these the simulations, and 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 it, a, a lot of it comes down to a, a, a term called stocks and flows, these kind of mm-hmm. models, which seem to be kind of kind of straightforward it was just like you have these variables and that have the current value of something and then you have these flows with some kind of equation with the with the you know like how much is flowing into and out of this variable until these other variables and it creates a sort of like complex system and i was thinking the other day it kind of got me it's like you know because i was like you know i kind of feel like i want to create a simulation like i want to just create i just want to play around and create like a little simulation on the web for something because it'd just be fun to see how you would put something Mm -hmm. like this together and uh, I started thinking about about well, this is funny simulating the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I think that would be a hilarious simulation because I I got to this conversation with one of the guys up at Uber. It was like you know the problem with these zombie movies is they have all these zombies running around, but it's like they never starve to death, <laughs> right? I mean, like if if I was if there was a zombie apocalypse, right? If all these if I was in one of these movies, I'd be like, all right. What you really do is just get enough water and food to hole up for like a month or a few weeks and just wait for all the zombies to die of starvation and then you're and you're good. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Because the zombies aren't immune. They don't they're not beyond the laws of physics. So eventually, you know, they're going to run out of humans to eat and eventually there's going to be other humans who are hiding out or able to hold uh, hold them off and all the zombies die of starvation and then then you're good. So I'm like I was like, you know, it would be fun to write like a little simulation of that. Like, obviously, it'd be a very highly simplified <laughs> version of that. But it's like, okay, so like, how long does it take a zombie to die of starvation? Like, what is that? What would be your guess? My very qualified guess. A month? I would say a month. No, how could they last a month? Let's okay. Let's say a month. I mean, that's just ridiculously long. Anyway, I, I just well, I mean, I always say that like you, 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 you die. Like you'll die if like. You don't get mm-hmm. water in like five days or seven days, but you can go like weeks without food, yeah. 
three or four. I mean, I'm just thinking a month would be like a simple, maybe, maybe it's less. I mean, because a zombie is essentially a human. It's just a human. It's kind of brain dead. Are we really, are we really having this conversation? <laughs> Cannibalistic. Okay. We are. We are having this I, I'm going to say, I'm going to go for <laughs> 1.5 months. You think a six-week zombie, a zombie could live without any food Yeah, for I'll six tell you weeks. why, because they're a simplified animal. Right, like just just like a you know just like a plant is a simple animal, and they can they can last for much longer because they're much simpler. But it's still the same. It's a it's a still the same body. It's just their mind is kind of it's like a you know it's like they've gone insane. You're like you see when the you saw the movie twenty eight twenty eight days later, right? Right. So <laughs> a friend over at Amos who works at Uber, we were we've got a discussion about this, and I may have missed this, but he says it was called twenty eight days later because that's how long one of these guy one of these rage zombies could go without before they would die i th- I, I said i never got that i thought it was 28 days later because that guy was in a coma and he wakes up after being in a coma for 28 days later <laughs> everybody no. is like dead did i miss no, I that i guess you did days? what I do guess you, you did miss it i don't know but I, i'm not sure it, mer- it merits even discussing it seems so silly <laughs> no, that's why it's been a great. It's a great thing to simulate, right? So it's like, okay, so we're going to create a zombie apocalypse a simulation. This is our, so the variables you'd want to be like, okay, how fast does it take to spread? You right. know, like how quickly within people within a certain density. Like, what's so like? What's the probability if you're within X number of meters of a zombie that you're going to become a zombie too? Yeah. How easy? How easy is it to kill zombies? So if 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 you if you one on one with a zombie, what's the probability that you're going to kill a zombie or that you're going to lose and become a zombie, <laughs> <laughs> or right. rather that you're just going to get eaten by the zombie? <laughs> if you don't become a zombie, you're just dead. Yeah. And then and then then you know. So I was thinking like it'd be fun. I think that would be. And then come up with some kind of hilarious sort of like mathematical justification for the for the um for the zombie apocalypse simulation and put that up on Hacker News. I think that could go. So when are you going to do that? Are you going to do that pre any foo or post any foo? I'll do it whenever I don't know. <laughs> whenever I want. Whatever the hell I want. Why? What do you? No, nothing, nothing. It sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, um, there is no post any foo, right? I mean, any foo is going to be. It's true. It's an incremental, ongoing, forever thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like uh, I just think it'd be fun to. It's like a weekend fun project is do a little zombie apocalypse simulation simulation well, it is important to do that stuff i mean i've been feeling really burnt out lately and i mean it, it's it's important i mean i've been working so hard on plugio and i just oh i've been feeling so burnt out and i'm like god i wish i could do something that was just fun <laughs> yeah well that's the way i felt when i got home from uber after friday night because it was just like three days it was just intense right it's just yeah. single-minded intense coding and I, 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 this must have been burned out a while because I've been working so hard on Uber and any spare time I have on Anyfo, and and then on top of that, squeezing in, you know, podcasts. I've just, I, I got back on Friday night and I was just like, I don't even want to think about tech. I don't want to think about startups. I'm just, I need a break. And that's, I didn't really do anything today. And this, other than the podcast, I really done nothing last day and a half. And that's exactly it. It's like I almost need like a little something, something just to do. There's no pressure. There's no expectation. It's just something to mess around with. Something that's just completely ridiculous, like a you know simulating a zombie apocalypse. I mean, what could be more ridiculous than that? Right? I don't think anything could. <laughs> I think that pretty much is it. <laughs> but I think that's just the kind of thing that would get a lot of comments. Like a lot of people would be like, "All right, look, if you're going to do this right, you got to do the yeah. X." <laughs> yeah. Well, which would probably be an interesting debate, right? I mean, you probably have some. There's probably some like on our listeners. I, I'm hoping if you have some comments on that, please leave some comments because I'm hoping 
that some very smart people who have done modeling of, of things like this would have some ideas on how to do it really well or how to do <laughs> cool things. Because I'm just thinking of it very superficially. I'm thinking, okay, so, and I was thinking, I'll just do it in JavaScript. I'll write like a little client side thing and have like some kind of visual where you see like, you know, kind of like those sort of like the spread of a virus, like when you watch in the movies, like, you know, you see like the things spreading and whatever. So, um, yeah. Well, it sounds but like I, it would go top of Hacker News. That's what I'm saying. I think it'd be great. And, they, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if, if, if you have any ideas on this, leave some comments, help me think about how to, um, how, the best way to go about doing it. Maybe I'll, you know, get some energy up next weekend or two and, and put something together and send it up on Hacker News. That would be kind of, kind of fun. But, um, I'll, I'll one more thing I wanted to actually add. So speaking of, um, of kind of cool, crazy projects, when I was up at, uh, Uber, I was talking, one thing I've been wanting to do is like a, like a long-term project is build like a distributed dispatching system. So right now, the way we have is we have one sort of dispatch server for each city. And we mm-hmm. have like, I don't know, like 12 cities now. So San Francisco has one node, uh, one city, one version of the dispatch server running at any given time. And if it goes down, a new one will start up and, and, and pick up. And it only really, it's fine right now because it's, we've made it so efficient that um, it doesn't really get above 20% utilization of one CPU, of one core um, mm-hmm. for San Francisco, which is the biggest city. We even have like 200, 250 drivers on, on a Friday night. So it's like we're not really in danger of running out of, uh, of CPU cycles. But I was thinking it'd be kind of cool as if you could like have like, hundreds of dispatch server nodes. It could be all throughout the network, kind of like a botnet, <laughs> like a, yeah. you know, these viruses. And some might be small. They might have like 10 cars on them or three cars. Some might be large and have 50 or 100 cars on them. But you, you would have sort of, you know, almost kind of like these BitTorrent servers or whatever. So when, I, when, a, when a client comes on or a, or a driver comes on, they just kind of get assigned randomly to a node. Right, and then if a client says, "Okay, I want to get picked up at this latitude longitude," you would do whichever dispatch server um, received it, which would maybe get a randomly assigned a request like that. It would kind of put like a request out to lots of other dispatch nodes, maybe within its neighborhood, maybe ten, and say, "Who's, you know, who's close? Who's your closest person?" And then it would aggregate and find the closest one. And says, "Okay, you know, dispatch server number two seven nine has yeah. the closest, you know, um, person uh, driver within you know three blocks." That makes sense. And I was talking about, yeah, I thought it would be kind of cool. And it would be like this really resilient mesh so that like if something went down, it would, it would immediately get reassigned to any number of other nodes. So even if a bunch of servers went down, you'd still be functional. You'd still be fine, right? Yeah. And, but you, what you would do is you wouldn't be guaranteed that you would get the most efficient because if you, if you, it depends on how many, so if you had hundreds of dispatch servers and you only queried like 10 of your closest ones and maybe requery if, if it was an unsatisfactory answer, you're not guaranteed to get, it's not a globally efficient solution. And I was, ta- I was, so I, I pitched this to um, Henry. He's like, uh, he's one of the uh, math team guys. He's like, got like a, I think he's master's in machine learning. Um, and that's his sort of specialty. He does all the machine learning stuff. And I pitched it, and he said, you see the sparkle in his eyes. He's like, yeah, that'd be cool. And he, we, were, we, were, we were talking about the math, and I said, I think, I said it's like, it's like a probabilistic, approximately probabilistically efficient solution. And I, was like, I said, I'll bet you if we built something like this, I said, that would be an awesome, like, paper 
to 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 write you know to 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 write up just the mathematics to present at like a big one of these machine learning conferences. And you see the sparkle. He's like, yeah, that would be awesome. He's like, but we'd probably have to patent it first. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like I was I was and I told Amos about that. I'm like Amos. I'm like, this is Black Ops, dude. I was like, we got to get Black Ops on this one, do like a hackathon or something and, and get it. Because I told you how like we had a small group of us working on a dispatch server and we kind of, I kind of jokingly gave us the our group, our, the name of our group. Uh, yeah, you did. Yeah. Black Ops. I said, I, I gave our group the name Black Ops. So I'm like, that's what Black Ops is for. So I think that would be cool. Sort of like a, <laughs> uh, a botnet of dispatch servers, like the dispatch server mesh or something. Awesome. I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know. It sounds cool. Any, if anyone has any ideas about that, be, you know, let me know. I mean, I don't know if we, I don't see the thing is, I don't think we really need anything like that for at least a year or two. Yeah. And then the servers will be more powerful. So you may just never be necessary. Yeah. Unless, unless Uber expanded way beyond say cars, it was a, it was a massive global, um, distribution, logistics, dis, uh, logistics platform, yeah. in which case, you know, you're you're looking for a solution, not just for, you know, dispatching for a car, but for anything. In which case, you'd want to build something like that. But that's many. Well, go do it. That's what years. I say. Go do it. Yeah. <laughs> go go build it. Go yeah. build it. Because the thing is, you have to do it like a. We'd have to do some like little toy version of it as a proof of concept, and then just do it for fun. Because, like I said, it's it's not within the roadmap within you know probably at least okay. the next couple of years. In which case, you're just sort of burning time to have fun, and when you know, yeah. so. But it's fun to talk about, fun to think about. So that's about all it. Right. That's all I got. I'm out of I'm out of ideas. I do I do have one other thing, um, okay. but I don't know. It's just the show's. <laughs> we're going to be going over two hours if I if I talk about this. Um, okay, look, I'll just quickly say because I've been meaning to say it for a couple of weeks. Um, some, you know, you know, EasySQL, the uh, database abstraction library that I wrote. Yep. So I put it on GitHub, and about a month ago, mm-hmm. someone has a, a lady. Not that that makes a difference, but just a, a lady, just to say, just to, just to hang hang the hat somewhere. Someone has completely written EasySQL and made version three of it on GitHub, and I don't know what to do because. They've basically rewritten it from the ground up, um, modernized it to PHP 5, and they've just done it in a way that I just don't know what they've done. And mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Like, it's, it's a whole new version of EasySQL. What do I do? Do I, do I kind of fold it in when I don't know how the code works? I mean, did, so you never put... Did you put EasySQL Easy yeah. up on GitHub? I put EasySQL on GitHub. They and then forked, what did they do? They, they, forked they forked it. it. They forked it and 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 re re released version three of EasySQL. Well, <laughs> EasySQL version three, which I didn't sanction or say anything. I mean, and you know, it's it's hosted on their own system, obviously their GitHub account. But the point is, is what do I do? I mean, I probably you lost sh- control of your own project. I probably should take all this code and look through it and fold it into the EasySQL project. But it's like. God, there's just a lot of code there. I mean, it's a major thing that they've done. Right. What do I do? What do I do? I don't know. You know, I, I have like no experience in the open source world. I've never released anything open source, so I don't really know the. Uh, I don't really know how that all that works. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's sort of social norms about how you're supposed to interface with people and manage that stuff. I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who 
might have some opinions on how but, I mean, it's to... so much code. It's a complete rewrite of the thing that I wrote from the ground up without me participating in any way. Do you feel bad about that? or do you No, feel... no, it's not that yeah. I feel bad. It's just that, it's just that how could I release it? How could I re-release that when I don't know how it's put together? So it's there. Right. There's this version, this new version, upgraded version of EasySQL that I don't know anything about. So they've, but it's it's called Easy. Yours, yours is Easy SQL, and there's Easy SQL 3.0. Well, mine's Easy SQL 2.0. I mean, so they, they just they it has a it has a different um, URL or something. A different yeah yeah. Well, it's it's their, their their username Easy SQL. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not complaining, but I'm just. I just, it's just weird. Like they've they've just gone and done huge amounts of work. They've modernized the whole thing. They've they've changed it so that it uses PHP five. <clears throat> like it's. I guess it's just a completely different fork. I, I mean, I guess they should probably release it under a different name. So, did did she communicate with you about it? Just say, hey, check this out, or this is what I've done, or you do yeah, a pull yeah. Request? Hey, hey, check out check out this this rewrite of Easy Easy SQL. Did she, did she do a pull request? Like, hey, you know, I, I'd like it if you could fold this back into the yeah, main. Yeah, thing? exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that you're. I don't know. I mean, I guess you're supposed to look it over, and if it's good stuff, then you just accept it. I mean, that's that's how open source work is, isn't it? I just don't have the time to go through all that <laughs> to go through like hundreds and hundreds of lines of code that I didn't write. Hundreds of lines? That's not very much. You mean it's got thousands hundreds of lines? Yeah. I mean, just like the whole thing. You can go through hundreds of lines in a few minutes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, if you can go through hundreds of lines, like two hundred lines of code. Okay, if if you can go through hundred lines, two two hundred lines of code in a few minutes and understand them, you're a much better programmer than I am. Well, I mean, you know what? It's just two hundred. I mean, I mean, it's like that sounds like three or four functions. You know, I mean, I mean. So, but what you're saying is actually is a lot of a lot of code. It's probably tens. It's of all the code. Thousands. It's all the code. Yeah. Okay. It's the okay. it's the whole library. Yeah. Well, see, this is the one of the reasons that. Um, you know, I, I guess I never really released anything open source because I didn't have the time because I was always doing, you know, launching some kind of a startup. So I had, you know, that's actually a conversation I had with the guys up at Uber about Prezo. They're like, well, why didn't you release, you know, all these subsystems and libraries that you built, you know, or that Guy and I built for Prezo as open source libraries? You know, because we had built a version of something that was kind of like jQuery. We had something that was like Raphael and we had, you know, these, all these other, you know, libraries that you could probably match up as early versions of things that you see now as fully mature, self-standing libraries. Yeah. And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, I mean, I mean, we're totally focused on launching Prezo, right? I just didn't have the time. And this is also pre-GitHub, right? I mean, it was sort of SourceForge was kind of I don't know, difficult to understand how to use. And I don't know, just, I don't know. There just wasn't, it just seemed to me like there wasn't a whole lot of upside to it. Yeah. Um, and what there was, was going to be a lot of headache, a lot of emailing with people or viewing other people's code. And it's like, what was that really going to do for me? You know, I mean, the idea of being, I think people do that is they like, you know, you can have people improve your code, right? Potentially. So people can fix code or add extensions that you didn't have time to do. And that's something, that's a way that you can benefit. But if you've built something that you understand that just does the job and you're kind of like, it works and you're done with it, then it's like, okay, I can release it out to just sort of be like a good netizen and sort of allow people to use my code and, 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 but, and put people do that partially for the kudos. So they get some recognition out of it. Right. Like, you know, I'm the guy who did this library, right. I'm a, I'm smart. I write good code, you know, know who I am, that kind of stuff. And you get invited to speak at conferences or maybe write a chapter in a book or, you know, maybe people want to hire you because of it. And, you know, that's become more of a thing over the last few years than, than even 
before. I mean, nowadays it's like that's sort of how you prove your street cred is by what open source work you've done. But when you already have funding and already have a startup and you're totally subsumed with trying to get this thing off the ground and working, you know, those things, those, those potential benefits are so small or so tangential that you just sort of like, it's just like, it's just sort of a, it's almost, it's just a distraction. So exactly what you're describing. It's like, I don't have, you're basically saying, I don't have time. This is probably great code. I just don't have time to deal with it. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I just, uh, like, I'm, I'm both flattered, but also confused about what to exactly do in this situation. Like, I don't have the time to go through it and vet it. I guess I just leave it out there. Don't fold it back in. Maybe I mean, you do one thing. You can you can ignore it. I mean, but I think, I mean, it sounds to me like the the appropriate open source adequate is to do that. So if you're gonna if you're gonna put something out there, is to respond to people, and if they do a pull request, that's reasonable that you evaluate it. I mean, that's that's the problem. Is sort of like it's like you start a conversation and then like you refuse to finish it. Right. You know, that's, that's what's, that's what, that's, that's why, uh, it's, it's always something you have to decide, um, if you want to, if you want to get involved, it's, it's like the old saying, most things are easier to get into than out of. Well, I mean, I didn't write it when GitHub was around. I mean, I wrote it years ago. I just put it on GitHub to make it easier to distribute this, this whole. But you put it up there to easy, but why did you care about distribution? You, 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 you put it up there to get a little more credit credit for it right no no not at all that's not that's not why i did it the reason why i did it was because i was sick of having to um every time i did an update i had to download the zip extract it change the files rezip it put it up i just did it with github because i can just check it in with smart git and then it ends up there and i don't have to worry about all the other stuff okay okay I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess you can just do nothing. Um, but it seems like that kind of keeps makes the web a little messier because there's no like this is the latest approved version of EC SQL. Well, but, okay. Well, let's let's get some listeners' feedback on that as well. I mean, yeah, we definitely have some. We definitely have some GitHub super users on who are uh, yeah. listeners, and I'm sure they'll have some very strong opinions about what the what are the uh, reasonable options for you. Because I think you know, I mean, yeah, you know, like yeah, I'm I'm giving you a little hard time. Like yeah, maybe you owe it to the web. To like spend some time reviewing it, but you know it's also it's like you know it's your time. You know you got other stuff going yeah. on. So I mean it's like you don't owe. You've done your bit. You created EC SQL that underlies WordPress. You've kind of done your bit for God and country. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean it's I like guess, I guess anything. I guess the best thing would be if someone else came along and said, right, I'm going to write a bunch of unit tests that prove that this code does what's specified in the documentation. So if someone wrote those unit tests, then I guess we could test this thing that she's done against those unit tests and prove that it all works, and then I guess it would be fine to release. So she didn't, there are no unit tests. I don't know, I didn't really look at it close enough. <laughs> Why don't you, yeah, well, I mean... You, <laughs> Maybe she did write unit tests, but anyway, you can't trust her because she wrote it. Well, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, but I mean, you should probably at least give it you know, 30 minutes, look over the code, see if there are unit tests. And if, if there are unit tests and run them, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying yeah. you owe her or anyone, you know, like three days of work on it. But I mean, you know, you can, if, if, if you go through it a half hour, there's unit tests, run through it, it looks all really good. Then maybe it's like, okay, just give it the, give it the gold star check mark or whatever and pull it back in. If not, then ask her to, you know, to write some unit tests and for it. Yeah. So then the downside of that is that thousands of people see, oh, Easy SQL 3 released. I'm going to put, install that on my site and it breaks, you know, breaks thousands of sites. But anyway, um, just wanted to bring that up. I have been meaning to bring that up for a few weeks. Um, I think uh, that's been a good show. Yeah, I'm pretty much done. I, I got nothing left. I'm out. You're <laughs> so, cooked, huh? 
Um, but okay, we didn't really talk much about any food, but there was a, there, not a whole lot happened this week because of, um, um, you know, me. Well, you've been totally uh, submerged in plugia work. Yeah. And I had to, I was up in San Francisco work with Uber, so I really didn't have much time. But I did spend some time getting the dashboard up, which is really going to allow um, the clients and experts to log in and really manage their account and look at sessions and cancel and reschedule and download invoices and all the stuff that basically our first handful of users have sort of been asking for. So Okay. We'll but uh, we'll talk about that next week. We did a big Inifu show two weeks ago or whatever, so or last weekend, so we can do another update next week. All right, that's a wrap. We're out.